All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to Bizzlecast 45. This is the Bizzlecast preview for a movie that I know many of you out there are very excited to see, um, which is Captain America Civil War, the third Captain America movie, the first movie of the third phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Phase 3. We will get back to that movie that... I was actually excited for immediately upon seeing The Winter Soldier two years ago. Um, but before we jump in, and we're going to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, its evolution, what's worked, what hasn't worked, why it's been so successful for the most part. Um, but first, let me bring him back, senior contributor, Matt Goisman. Matt. Hey, everybody. I'm so happy to be back. Yes. Um, Matt. Uh, has become more than a regular. This is great. Um, if you've listened to the Bizzlecast before, people, uh, you probably, depending on how far you followed me, how, how long you followed me, a little over a year into it, uh, about to hit 5,000 unique listens that I know about, which Hell is yeah. really exciting. Um, and uh, you, know, you know that I've been doing the nerd stuff from the beginning. But what I didn't realize was that I had friends both good friends and sort of friends like Matt that, that knew each other from college but weren't that close, that I had a whole bunch of friends that were into the nerdy stuff as well. And as I sent an email to them recently, and maybe this would be a good way to, to start, a uh, little mushy here, which is just that I'm very grateful to have found m- my nerdy friends. It's made my life infinitely more enjoyable. I have people to text. Uh, Matt, you can probably attest to <laughs> bombarding you with emails and Facebook messages <laughs> regarding this stuff, right? Yes, but they're all interesting things about issues I care about. Um, yeah, and, and it's been a great relationship professionally. We, we've we've done some amazing podcasts. The Man of Steel commentary, which I released, uh, I don't know, a month ago, um, was a banner commentary uh, because it was really the first movie uh, that that I and the people I was doing it with critiqued heavily. I'm usually doing movies I love. So Matt helped introduce me into that, which was great because I've been wanting to exercise those critical muscles. Um, also, I think the two most hilarious podcasts have been with Matt. One is the Deadpool one where you and I were just giddy for an hour and a half, <laughs> basically. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Matt did a great job of of uh, doing his Hugh Jackman. Uh, I'm sorry, his impression of Ryan Reynolds doing his Hugh Jackman impression was very, very impressive, <laughs> among other things. And then recently, a podcast that's pushing a hundred, which is our Batman v Superman. I don't know, is roasts a strong enough word <laughs> for it that? Uh, decimates, pulverizes. I don't know. <laughs> Stabs through the chest with a big spike, you know, like uh, like they did with Superman. Um, yeah, if you guys haven't listened to the Batman v Superman podcast, even if you haven't seen it and like you specifically haven't seen it, you might even like it even more because we just use it as a launching pad to not just rip the movie, but just have a lot, a lot of fun. We make a ton of jokes about that movie and comic book movies in general. That was just a really, really, really fun podcast. Um, but the third thing, or another thing that Matt's done for me, has gotten me into DC stuff. And Matt, when we first did our podcast together five months ago, Bizzlecast 30, could you imagine that I'd be watching Arrow and Addicted to Flash at the time? No, if if nothing else comes of my time doing these, uh, if I got you into Flash and Arrow, and in general got you to buy into the, you know, the DC Comics world a little bit more, that is a, a huge win for me. Um, in all serious, I have always 
loved comic books and nerdy things and not always felt like I had somebody who knew enough about the exact same things that I knew about to really be able to talk about, uh, talk to about them. So to have found this outlet uh, has been incredibly rewarding for me. Uh, it's been incredibly fun. Um, a quick story with Batman v Superman. So I saw that 24 hours before I did the podcast. That night after I saw it, I slept horribly. I was like mad and exhausted and uh, despondent over the future. Uh, and then we got together. We were able to rip it to shreds, had a blast doing it. And that night I slept like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, my dad is a psychologist, so, you know, I, I guess just doing some therapy stuff there. <laughs> I mean, at, at some point, you're going to have to do therapy for me. Eventually, there's going to be a bad Marvel movie, right? And you're going to have to have to console me. Although, I'm looking at the schedule, and we're going to get back to this. You look at the Phase 3 schedule, including Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, even the Spider-Man movie, which I'm not a Spider-Man guy, but if anyone can make a cool, it's uh, Marvel Studios at Disney. Uh, so, I don't know when that bad movie's coming. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. has hinted he might be in Spider-Man, yep. so that would make it, just by that alone, uh, much better. And, you know, the the established properties are so good at this point that it's hard to think any of them are going to flop. Um, I guess we could get an Iron Man 2, but I doubt it. And then, so it's going to be one of the new properties that might sink, but everybody is saying Chadwick Boseman is awesome in Civil War, so Black Panther's probably going to be pretty great. Not just Black Panther, by the way. They released a one-minute clip today from the movie of a fight scene when they're trying to contain uh, Bucky, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier. Right. And uh, T'Challa fights Bucky as T'Challa. He's not even in the costume. It's fantastic. Go ahead. And then people are loving Alec, uh, Tom Holland. They're saying he might be the best Spider-Man on screen to date. Um, so the Spider-Man Homecoming movie uh, is probably also got a shot to be really good. So where the flop happens, I don't know. I mean, maybe they blow it within humans. Maybe Captain Marvel they don't execute really well. But I, I think Marvel at this point has put up so many good movies in a row that you just generally assume they're all going to be good. And they've earned a lot of goodwill from the general public at this point. Yeah, I think Inhumans is the one. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you pointed to that. That's the one that could just be mishandled. Um, and if you watch S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV, which I initially didn't like, has grown on me more over the years. I know Matt's sort of so-so about it. Yeah, it's not mu must-watch TV for me. I watch it every week. but I, I, I would say the best sort of five or six episodes per season are must-watch, but there's a lot of up and down in between. Um, I, I think the cast is better than the idea, or and sometimes the execution. Mm -hmm. all, all comes down to writing. We're going to talk about that. Um, and uh, but, anyways, Inhumans were introduced so much earlier than I thought. I mean, the movie's not coming out till like twenty nineteen, twenty twenty. They introduced them with uh, Chloe Bennett, uh, who play used to be Sky, and now she's Daisy, aka Quake, um, who's now leading. <clears throat> A team of the secret warriors, right. which is, and it's a lot like X Men. And I think the, the challenge for Marvel within humans will be a: how does it relate to TV? We're going to get back to the sort of uh, link or lack thereof between these comic book TV properties and the movie properties, you know. Um, and b: you know, how do you make it different, not just from the Avengers universe while still connected, but different from the X Men, which to me is a much more compelling and straight to the point version of what the Inhumans are doing. Yeah, you know, it's the, a lot the, easier to understand. I mean, we sort of know what the Kree are now, but it's still 
the inhuman origin is way more complicated than the the mutant origin on Earth. Uh, we also got to remember, Inhumans is the first movie scheduled for after Infinity War, right? Yes. So we don't really know what Marvel is planning for Phase 4, which we all, I mean, if you still think they're going to stop with Phase 3, you don't understand much about how movies no. work. Um, Matt, Matt and I both re-listened to our first podcast, or some of it recently, and uh, I think it was in that podcast, Bizzlecast 30, where we, we talked about how they've already been planning Phase 4, Phase 5, and beyond, I think. You right. know, they won't say it, but yeah, go ahead. But we just don't know what they want to do. Are the Avengers movies going to be the tent poles of each phase after Phase 3? I I still believe that the main actors at some point are going to want to move on. I think Robert Downey Jr. is going to want to move on at some point. I think Chris Evans is going to want to move on at some point. After We'll, we'll get back to the Chris Evans. I'm going to tease this now by saying I've predicted that he's not going to move on right away and that he's expressed it. And there's some clues about what we already know with Civil War that seem to hint that they're going to make at least one more Cat movie, but we will get back to that. Sorry, man. Go ahead. Well, I, all I'm saying is if if – Tony Stark and not Tony Stark, but if Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans leave, it's basically the same guy at this point. Right? A little bit. I mean, are they really going to recast either of them? And then no. if they no, 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 uh, no, no, right. So if they're not, what do they do next? Do they have somebody else become Iron Man? Do they try to, you know, make Winter Soldier become Captain America or make the Falcon become Captain America? And then can you really trust the franchise to less proven actors like Sebastian Stan or Anthony Mackie or, or Don Cheadle is a proven actor, but as an action star, I don't know. So in humans might be the first sign that the, the next bunch of phases after three are going to be very, very different. Um, and maybe they're not each going to end with an Avengers movie, um, which is fine if it's well executed, but it's also where it could run off the rails. And yeah, a little heads up, Bizzlecast listeners, we're just doing a, uh, a little uh, freestyle right here. We, we've got a, a grand plan to talk about the MCU leading up to Civil War, but we just wanted to get some balls in the air. I'm always talking about Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not just that I think she's adorable, but it's that Chloe feels completely from the younger generation, mm-hmm. like people in their 20s, but so loyal to the Marvel universe in, in spirit and just her personality. The, the fact that she's like Captain America and always wanting to do the right thing, but it's not cheesy because she's complicated and she's just real. And so I don't care if she ends up in the Inhumans movie or not, but I have said in the past that I think Marvel is going to start using Netflix especially, but maybe network as well um, to launch movie properties because so much is being consumed at home these days. You know, I mean the force awakens, I mean, you can't even rent it on on demand. You got to buy it, and they're making so much money on it because people have literally waited. Even though it made two billion dollars, some people I know were waited to come out on demand, and now they have to pay twenty bucks for it. But that's just the reality of of movies. And when we get back to Cap Civil War, which is the centerpiece of this podcast, I'm going to make an argument, and Matt, you can make an argument as well, agree or disagree with me, as to why it will not make a billion dollars and why it will make over well over a billion dollars. And I could see it going either way. It has nothing to do with the quality of the movie. Well, it has something to do with the quality of the movie. Um, so let's just get some general thoughts out here, man. Um, so Matt and I talked a, a bunch before the podcast. We like to come prepared. And as usual, we end up with way more ideas than we think we're going to end up with. Um, (laughs) So we'll try to keep this focused. However, I did comment to Matt um, that even though 
I love the Avengers movies, and as I've copped to on numerous Bizzlecasts, I didn't see the Avengers, Avengers 1 in 2012 in the theater. I don't know why. I was busy in grad school. I was dealing with other shit. Um, but at the same time, there's no excuse for it. And that's part of why I love Ultron so much, because I saw it in the theater a million times to make up for all the times I didn't see the first Avengers in the theater. But I have to say... Captain America, The Winter Soldier, April 2014, a movie that shocked everybody. I'm not shocked, but surprised everyone, not only by making $750 million with a Captain America movie, not only by making more than half of that overseas in a movie called Captain America that takes place in America and is mostly about America, at least on the surface, made a ton of money overseas, but it's considered by many to be one of the best ever. And I know tons of people, both personal friends and like podcasters that I listen to, who that's their favorite comic book movie. And so that getting me back into the MCU, because I hadn't really seen much since Iron Man 1, which we'll get back to, I... And though I love the Avengers and Joss Whedon's probably my favorite writer slash director uh, in uh, you know in Hollywood, despite his limited number of movies, I love them all dearly and greatly. Um, even with Ultron coming up, we kind of knew what Ultron was going to be about, and then they started talking in October of 2014 about Black Panther and you know Spider Man. There were there were rumors about, and so I, I was excited, more excited for this Cap movie than I was for Avengers: Age of Ultron, which, along with the original Avengers and Cap Winter Soldier, are my three favorite comic book movies ever. Matt, let me th- throw this to you as a question. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you get into like Captain America as a character? Because I didn't until Winter Soldier. Um, and then when did you sort of become aware that there might be something potentially special uh, about Civil War? Um, I liked the first. I liked Captain America: The First Avenger a did lot. You see it, did you see it in the theater? I did. Um, yeah, I, I did not. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I uh, think I've seen listeners, I apologize. every Marvel Cinematic Universe movie I'm, I think I've seen in theaters. Okay. Um, so I have said this before. I think I said this in defense of X-Men First Class. If a movie has Nazis dying, I will probably like it just because I'm Jewish. and <laughs> I'm, I'm, That's probably not healthy. But can I, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. When you saw Glorious Bastards, yep. were you just like – having a giant orgasm in the theater um i was certainly having a blast i i, I mean <laughs> not a literal t- orgasm yeah. no well <laughs> i mean you do blast but anyway uh, but i'm ching i uh i did love that movie though and some of it was yes because at the end i mean they blow up hitler's face <laughs> uh, right. but i i you know the first avenger it did strike me as the first movie that was well, actually, Thor was the first movie that was blatantly – this is just an origin story because we need to put this guy in the Avengers and we need you to know who he is. Well, you, but I didn't uh, think – so, I'm sorry. You're, no, no, it's okay. You're, you're on record as saying you thought the first Cat movie was pretty one note, I believe, is what you said. I th- well, I thought that the way they portray him is not very complex by design, probably because they were thinking, you know, this guy is going to be in the modern world – the point is he's sort of got this old-fashioned morality, this old-fashioned black and white, you know, soldiers and good guys, man, man, you know, bad guys and good guys mentality. 
how does he square that in a world where that's all really much more complicated? Yep. And the opening scenes of the Avengers where he's just punching, he just works out constantly because he can't accept the world the way it is. Um, and there's actually a, um, a deleted scene from the Avengers where he goes out for lunch and people start talking about wireless access. And he says, you mean like radio? <laughs> Joss Whedon said, I don't really need to cut that because the scene of him just punching a bag to death and then going and get the next <sighs> one. And it's clear that that's all that he does because he doesn't oh, know how God. to fit in this world. That's enough. Um, I, I actually have done an Avengers commentary that I haven't released. Mm-hmm. Because it's not one of my best commentaries. And the reason it's not is because I'm just sitting there in awe watching it. Right. And I, I listened to it recently. And, like, through the first 45 minutes, I, I, I'm doing, like, hushed tones. Like, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to interrupt the movie without even realizing. Now, you know, by the time Robert Downey Jr. does This Man Is Playing Galaga, you know, and is <laughs> in this, on the, you know, how does Fury see this thing? It, he turns his head. <laughs> that sounds exhausting. exhausting. Yeah. Um, you know, then I just start cracking up and I loosen up. And so I've been thinking about redoing the Avengers commentary. But the point being, when I saw the Avengers, um, in, uh, I guess probably maybe four to six months after the movie, I saw it on Blu-ray. Right. Um, and just watched it over and over and over and over again for weeks, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that's, that's what puts that movie at the top for me, even over Ultron, which is that. I just think it's it's so rewatchable on so many levels. Well, Ultron, you have to be in a mood for. Even Winter Soldier, you kind of have to be in a mood for. I don't have to be in a mood for anything for the first Avengers movie. And to me, that's what made it so successful, I think. Go ahead. I would agree with that. I mean, the first Avengers, when you call a movie Captain America the first Avenger, yep. it's a pretty obvious statement as to why you're making this movie. Which, by the way, in retrospect, is even more brilliant no one saw Chris Evans' version of Cap being as popular as he is today. That's amazing. But keep going. Right, but I don't necessarily think people fell in, fell in love with him as Cap because of Winter Soldier. No. I think it's I'm not Winter Soldier, right? Because of First Avenger. Right. I think. Oh, just his- just going forward, real quick note, Bizzlecast listeners, we're gonna try and put the number of the movie. Uh, with the name, at least a little bit. I, I'm, I'm guilty of this, too, because not everyone's seen every movie. So the first Cat movie is called The First Avenger. takes place in World War One. has Two. Haley Atwell, which... I'm sorry, World War Two. and I'm thinking of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it has Haley Atwell, which is worth the price of admission alone, in my opinion. Um, if you're into badass, uh, you know, dark-haired English, uh, you know, militant chicks. Um, and uh, Sebastian Stan, who's very charismatic. And uh, actually, what I found the most memorable from that movie is he takes the serum, mm-hmm. right? He becomes an icon. And what's the first thing they want to do with them? They want to use them as a propaganda yeah. tool. And I, I think it's hard to know looking back whether that was a little bit of foreshadowing in terms of the first time the government used him a way he didn't want to be used, or whether that was just for fun. I think it was a comment on the culture. That, that made it feel real for me. You know, the buying the war bonds things. We've seen that in World War II movies. I mean, that was definitely, you know, the propaganda machine. Anyway, so that was one. Winter Soldier in 2014 was two, and Captain America Civil War is the third and maybe final one coming out a few weeks from now. Go ahead, Matt. I mean, I think it does definitely sets up um, a dynamic that, uh, Captain America is going to be dealing with in Civil War that he has a clear idea of how he thinks he can serve the greatest good and he doesn't like it when 
organizing bodies, authority figures tell him to do it a different way. Um, you know, he, he wants to fight the entire time and they just won't let him because they see him as a freak. Um, and so all they want him to do is be this propagandist video, you know, show up in the USO shows and, and whatever. And then he finally gets to fight and he's like, I can kick ass. Um, but it definitely sets up a dynamic of, I don't like authority figures telling me my own sense of morality is not enough. And I think that's definitely going to be a theme in this movie. So a word and I that, or a term and I that Matt had been using um, and thinking about this podcast, and we'll see where it goes, is oral history. And it's funny to think about oral histories, even though humanity spent the first million plus years using oral history as their only form of history. Now we've got a cataloged version a million times copied in the cloud of every piece of information. But the one thing that you can't do that with are people, at least not yet, are people's memories and the emotional um, parts of those memories and, and what sticks with you. Just the same way I described that cap scene a, a, a minute ago. But if you look at Captain America, Matt, I would argue that he is the only one in which every movie he's in takes a huge step in like five different ways, morally, intellectually, strength-wise, understanding the complexities of the world. But even more than that, they all build on one another, right? I, so, I think he's definitely the character who grows the most across all of the movies that he's been in. I don't think Tony Stark is all that no. different start to finish. Thor, Thor kind of works best as a caricature. I mean, I think he's supposed to be intentionally... You know, well, as I've said, as I said in the podcast before, mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth version of Thor is way more dimensional than anything in the comic book. So that that is an extremely hard. The fact that Thor has been popular. I mean, Dark World made like seven hundred million dollars. Yeah. Like it, I didn't even like Dark World, but you know, the fact that they've made Thor work in retrospect is actually more impressive to me than Captain America. Um, because it's such a bizarre property that doesn't even really fit with the Avengers. But but I, I think th- there's two things that make Thor work for me, and I want to jump back to Cap. One is Chris Hemsworth himself. Right. He is the guy that other men are not threatened that their girlfriends have a big crush on. <laughs> You know, he's the guy that men are all secretly kind of attracted to him and don't want to mention it. I mean, he is, you know, to quote Kat Dettigs from Thor, he is cut. I mean, he's cut (laughs) from marble. And But the thing is, if he was a total douchebag, yes, he can be arrogant, but if he was like a douchebag, like a high school football quarterback type douchebag, right? Or a certain uh, star of a movie, superhero movie, not made by Marvel. (laughs) Um then the men no one would like him but he's so lovable he's so charismatic uh you know when, when his good side is controlling his actions you're really rooting for him and he does have a great heart i mean natalie portman and his friends on earth taught him that um but the other is loki obviously right i mean you take tom hiddleston out of the equation and even with hemsworth and and just the whole marvel brand and this might be a great contrast man actually we didn't talk about this which is another reason to go forward with this train of thought which is is it possible that captain america is sort of living up to great potential whereas thor in some ways even though the movies haven't always been great I think has exceeded potential based on the weirdness of the whole, like whole character and lack of relatability because of those two actors. Go ahead. 
I honestly... I, I know you love Tom Hiddleston, so feel free to wax poetic. I, I do love Tom Hiddleston, and he has definitely I been, too. I think, maybe the biggest acting find in, in that nobody really knew who this guy was before this, and now... He was second for Thor, by the way. He, he finished second. Tom Hiddleston in real life weighs like 40 or 50 more pounds than Loki. Mm-hmm. I, though, I, I gotta be honest, I have this, this thought in the back of my head that DMC, the MCU is kind of thinking with Thor... This guy, we just want to make movies that are good enough that don't tank everything. I don't know what – I don't think they have as clear a plan of what Thor's thing is going to be. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he is really going to go through some kind of growth in Ragnarok that I don't see coming. But I definitely think his role is to just kind of show up. Yeah, and that's – in the growth thing is what I wanted to get to with Cap. So just follow me on this one and – uh you know, jump in anytime. I was talking about how Cap goes through the most consistent and um, uh, m- most quantitatively significant character growth that you really can see without being rubbed in your face. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So here's what I didn't realize about Cap growing up is that he was a scrawny kid. I didn't even know that, honestly. I was so into the X-Men comic books. I knew when the Avengers would show up, you know? I knew who everyone was. I loved Iron Man, who I read. I loved mm-hmm. Hawkeye just because of the bow and arrow thing. Right. M- Matt got me to watch Arrow and Flash. Quick plug. Uh, <laughs> you know, I never thought I would watch a DC show on CW in my life. No offense, DC. No offense, CW. But both shows are very good. Flash, as Matt agrees, or I should say I agree with Matt that Flash is superior even though it's not quite as dark and the cgi you know it w- is actually well above where you'd think it would be with the budget that a cw show would have um and it's just getting better arrows is, is dark a lot of hand-to-hand combat very very well done shows anyways love hawkeye but I, I didn't know the whole captain america story and so you know no one talks about this after it's happened people say oh he just got lucky right he was just the one to get the super serum but that's the whole point is he is exactly who you want to give the super serum to. Right. You have a kid who is naturally good and moral, and the fact that he's constantly getting beat up by bullies or defend other people, even though he can't defend them just because that's where his heart is, he's just so good down to the soul. And, you know, and it doesn't hurt that he's, you know, puny and getting beat up all the time, so you root for him more. And so when I saw that, after seeing Winter Soldier, I was like, wow, that really changes my perspective on shit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because he never comes off as a frat boy because he's not. So you don't even need to know the backstory. But when you know the backstory, you're like, wow. You know, like you got to look at yourself and be like, I don't think I'm the one who deserves the super serum. Like, I think I'm a pretty good person, but I could never do what he does just from a mental standpoint, you know, in terms of putting himself into situations. Um, And so from that to the Avengers, you know, and here's the crazy thing. They had to sell that a bunch of stuff had gone on between being unfrozen at the end of Cap 1, right? And being... uh, uh, part of the team in Avengers, he just seems to be, you know, punching punching bags for the last couple of years or whenever <laughs> when he gets unfrozen. But what would you say was sort of the big jump? Because everyone agrees the big cap jump was between Cap 1 and Avengers. Because you go into Avengers being like, oh, I can't wait to see Iron Man, like Thor, finally, like Scarlet. Yeah, you know, you're, you're sort of like, okay, Captain America, he came out of the ice. And by the end of the movie, me personally, 
I'm just in love with Captain America. I mean, I'm just, that's who I want to be seeing in the final battle. And Joss did the right thing and doing a ton of ground level stuff to keep Cap involved. You know, the running scene, the side scrolling running scene in New York at the Battle of New York mm-hmm. with the Cap music playing and like, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the truck is blowing up as he's jumping off of it. You yeah, can't yeah. tell. Yeah. I mean, that just gives me chills every time. And, and against all odds, Captain America would never be one of my favorite characters. So what, what was the big jump? And when I ask this question, I don't mean just in terms of in the movie but there was about a year between camp one and the avengers um it's hard to know with all the 2011 you know solo movies and then avengers the next year what joss knew what he had a say in but what would you say in terms of cap's character was sort of the big jump uh between cap one and avengers I think actually the the biggest moment that maybe sold me on Cap, on Chris Evans, is the scene when they're trying to figure out what S.H.I.E.L.D. is up to, and he walks in and he says, S.H.I.E.L.D. is using the cube to make weapons. Sorry, your computer was running too slow for me. (laughs) And it's in that moment that you finally figure out that he is not just following orders, he that the uh, the way the amount of out of placeness he feels, the displacement he feels in the modern world is really, really crippling him psychologically to the point that he finally does something he doesn't do at all in, in the first Avenger, which is break the rules, violate you know the authority figures that up until then he's been very Boy Scoutish towards. Um, and it's in that scene, and I think he even says something like, I was wrong, this world is exactly the same as the one that I left behind. Um, and it's in that moment that I think sold me on the character and the actor and that was maybe the scene that proved that he didn't just feel out of place but he was capable of growing because of that feeling of out of place feeling out of place is great but yep. once you've made the point once you've made the point it's right. can you get past that can you yeah and, you know, and adjust because you can't go back and that's the moment yeah. that suggests he can still evolve as a character and that's what oh, i yeah. really loved about that scene but what's brilliant man is he is actually leading the evolution of the main storyline, right? I mean, if you take all the TV properties and the movies, everything's going through Cap. Thor is off on his cosmic journeys. Yes, he comes to Earth to get Natalie Portman for no reason, but, you know, he, he's out in the Nine Realms and beyond. And nobody got cares. On- I mean, does anybody really care what happens in Svartalheim or whatever? Nobody cares about what's going on in... I absolutely care what happens in Svartalheim. Really? I, with <laughs> Yggdrasil and all of that? Oh, that's I just, great. I love, I love mythology, mythology, but all of that stuff just – I just don't care. These are – Well, that's because they don't make you care. They right. don't make you care. I can't relate to these characters, so I don't yeah. care about their problems. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to harp on something I said a million times before, but I don't know when Bizzlecast listeners listen to what, but – my favorite parts of both Thor movies, other than Loki, are the Earth stuff because it's funny, it's relatable, you know. And when they and I'm a fantasy sci-fi guy, but I ex- I just don't like the combo of sci-fi and fantasy in Thor. It doesn't work for me. But anyways, really quickly back to Cap. Am I am I wrong to think that they? I mean, did let me put it this way. You brought because you you brought attention to the fact that it's called the First Avenger. I think they knew when they titled that movie First Avenger that everything was going to run through Cap going forward, assuming the audience like Chris Evans, right? Or am I crazy? Well, I think the fact that the the first teasers for the Avengers movie are the post credit scenes in Captain America: The First Avenger. Oh. I think that says a whole lot about how Marvel Studios looked at that movie and at Cap's role. You know, they didn't wait for a Marvel uh, Iron Man sequel to break it. They introduced the Tesseract in Thor, 
um, which is, you know, important, but you don't find out what it is until Captain America, and it's the central plot point of the Avengers. So I think they really were thinking, you know, if this all holds up, he should be, you know, our main guy. I'm, people might see the movie for Robert Downey Jr., but they're going to start, you know, they're going to ultimately learn that this is still sort of Cap's movie and a journey Cap is on. By the way, do you know what a Tesseract is in, in real life? Yeah, it's a higher dimensional yes. object folded inside a lower dimensional one, usually thought of as like a four-dimensional thing. It's a cube. It's yeah, a cube. In, yeah, in third-dimensional space. Right. Or, a, you know. Right, but, but you can also apply time as the fourth dimension. Yes, you can. Which um, is really what the movies are doing, which I thought was a, a cool twist. Like um, there's... um. There's an analogy for what, how time travel works where you take a piece of paper yeah, yeah, and yeah. you fold I, it and then you yeah. go through the, the yeah. two sides. That's what they did in Interstellar. That's, that, the most, yeah. that's the most, like, you know, uh, 101 version that you get in, like, intro science classes and so forth. In, but that's in tesseracting college. space. I mean, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, the, the way to think about it is, you know, an ant crawling over a sphere. Right. Like he'll only experience the sphere as like a, t- a two-dimensional plane that's just wrapped into a shape with, with minor curvatures that they wouldn't be able to detect without knowing all the matter that's inside, making it three-dimensional. Anyways, the Tesseract, you know, one of the Infinity Stones, um, again, the cosmic stuff coming in. I guess what I was getting to with Cap was that, you know... W- w- <laughs> So in World War II, humans were fighting humans, but it was pretty clear who the good guys and the bad guys were overall, I think. I, I think even Germans and Japanese people would agree with this today. Uh, but, okay, so that's that. That's him f- good fighting evil. You needed that to inform Cap's character going forward. And then you have the Avengers, where you have the Security Council. And by the way, is the fact that Nick Fury doesn't seem to be really controlling the Security Council and the Avengers, you look back and you're like, wow, they were setting up you know, Hydra really strongly here without saying it. And you know, Cap is forced to deal with the modern system. And if there's anything truly naive about Cap, and I think this is a commentary on our um, society, is this notion that the greatest generation in World War II were somehow, you know, inwardly, before being thrown into the crucible of war, just better people. And that, you know, the corruption of society and, and just people aren't as good today. That's what makes Cap so effective. He never is condescends to people or doesn't try to, even though he does believe that was a superior time. And that's why Bucky represents that. And that's why that's going to be so important is Bucky's that one connection to that past mm-hmm. where things did seem black and white. I think this is going to be the movie with Civil War where he has to realize that things aren't just gray now. They've always been gray. And I'm hoping we get some World War II flashback stuff with Bucky and Cap um, because I think it's important that, you know, just the creation of Bucky in that timeline, right? I mean, just that by itself shows that, you know, the world wasn't as black and white. Is this making sense? I guess, like, I'm just fascinated by Cap's both intellectual and moral development over the movies. And, you know, Winter Soldier is just the culmination of the Avengers, where there is Hydra, and which I hadn't heard of because I hadn't read that in the comics. Um, but, you know, it, the Avengers really set that up. And one thing I want to maybe get to later is that I think Age of Ultron did a great job of setting Civil War up. But again, this is my argument of everything running through Cap. Um, 
in the, in Shield, you know, and, and everything going on in Shield. You there, yeah. buddy? Yeah, no, I am. I I was sort Sorry. of waiting for you to. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to lead a certain direction here. It's I'm not really. It, I got too much to talk about. I don't know what. Dude, you take over for a while. Go ahead. <laughs> Matt, 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 this is, I'm officially handing the keys to Matt for a few minutes. Okay. So I certainly think, you know, as I've said, this movie is going to be, I think it might be the final uh, moment in Cap's development. I don't necessarily think there is more moral growth or, or, or personal growth he can go through beyond this film. And I think it's telling that this movie is called Civil War, which in the comics, and I do have to bring this in, Captain America is assassinated at the end of the events of Civil War. I don't believe they're doing that aspect of this. I don't even know if he's going to be, quote unquote, brought to justice for, you know, leading this group of rebels, you know, in the comics. Sorry, Bizzle Guys listeners, this is a non-spoiler podcast. We don't know the answer to these questions. We're only talking about what's in the comics, not the movie. Right, but I do think you have to bring in source material. No, no, I want you to. I just want to let the listeners know that we're not spoiling anything for them in the movie. Right, because I have no idea what's going to happen in the movie. We have no idea. Civil War is a massive bloodbath. I mean, you were talking about dozens or like maybe a hundred guys on each side they finally have to take the whole thing to an alternate dimension on the on the moon or it's or a prison on the moon or something just because if they did the fight on earth it would basically blow up it would destroy a continent because of how much power is being thrown one way or the other and so when the end cap uh iron man finally gets captain america to realize what he's doing you know, has gotten out of hand. He turns himself in, and he is shot dead on the steps of the courthouse. Um, I don't think they're going to do any of that. Obviously, the fight that they're setting up in Civil War is five people versus five other people at an airport. So I think the I think it's six, six, six on, on five, six, whatever the so the civilian damage and casualties I think are going to be super minimum. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this fight. The way the plot has also been described is that there is also some outside villain or threat that it, they're also going to have to fight at some point. I don't know Baron if they, Zemo, played yeah. by Daniel Brühl, who is awesome across Chris Hemsworth in Rush. Go ahead. Right. So I don't know if they're going to stop fighting. I've heard. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I'm breaking my own rule. He, I've heard that Daniel Brühl, I don't know anything else. Is They say this is extremely untraditional villain in terms of who he is and how they use him and so forth. Go ahead. Could be. I mean, there's also, we're going to get Crossbones, which is uh, the Frank Grillo character from uh, uh, Winter Soldier is coming back in costume. Rumble. So I don't know if they're going to fight that guy and then fight each other or fight each other and then realize that they've got to fight the bad guy, the actual bad guy. Um, I really, really hope it's not some overarching conspiracy by Zemo to get them to fight each other, which would be way too similar to another movie I don't want to mention, where the bad guy conspire, you know, tricks the good guys into fighting each other. I can assure you, Bizzlecast listeners, knowing no spoilers, that that is not the case. We don't need to worry about that. Go ahead. Good. Um, So I don't know exactly if what's going to happen with Cap after this is over. I mean, if they lock him up or whatever, I'm pretty sure he's already filming part, you know, parts of infinity war. So he's definitely in that. So I doubt they kill him, but I think this is going to be the final, the final developmental movie for him. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a fourth captain America solo film. I, I kind of think that there isn't, but you know, again, we don't know what the slate of movies for phase four is going to be. There will be. You think there will? You I think, think there will. Uh, and I'm just, again, I'm piecing this together. 
I mean, it's not going to be another Captain America appearance for at least two more years after this because you're going to have Infinity War. Is it next year or is it 2018? Okay, Uh, let me me, me just – I'll run through this quickly. When you hear Chris – I don't know if Chris Evans is really Captain America. Uh, He's – you know that he's a Boston guy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He has a huge man crush on Tom Brady. He was talking about on Kimmel earlier in the week. He did um, a really adorable bet with Chris Pratt, who is from Seattle, that. for yeah, the, the Super Bowl, that whoever's team wins, the other one has to dress up in their Marvel costume and go to a charity hospital of their choice. Um, I don't remember what the two charities were, so the Patriots won, and Chris Pratt showed up as Star-Lord at, at, Chris, at uh, Chris Evans' hospital, which was pretty cool. And this is the thing about Marvel is, and we talked about that in our first podcast. This was actually one of the first segments in our first podcast was, is it enough at Marvel to just be a good actor? No, we, we agreed. You have to go out with the fans. You have to love going out with the fans, doing the press stuff. And the thing is, these characters are so well cast. And because it's Marvel Studios, most of the you know main characters that we get used to are good guys or are, are good at some level. You know, and, and everyone is just a team player there. And I don't know if Chris Evans is Captain America is what I'm getting to, but when he says something, he just seems so genuine. And he's openly said that he doesn't want this to be the end for Cap. He's not agreeing to specific contracts at this point. Bottom line is the main Avengers, because of their contracts and because there's just too many superheroes, as you pointed out in the previous podcast, um, they're they not only dividing Avengers uh, Infinity War uh, 1 and 2 into two parts, 2018-2019, okay. but it's been pretty well established for the last year or two that the main top three, four, five, six, you know, Cap, Thor, uh, Hulk, uh, Tony, and maybe even Black Widow and, and Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye won't be in until the second part in 2019, which means they will film that early in 2018, which means Chris Evans is going to get two years off, which I think is the whole point. <laughs> and he right, unless it. he decides he wants to do something else. And I'm not suggesting that these actors want to leave because they don't like their roles or making these movies. I just think you become no, an actor... Off- be- I'm sorry, I just meant off from Marvel, not from doing any movies. Yeah. Right. I, I just think you become an actor because you want to be creative or you have a strong creative spark in you somewhere. Yep. And doing the same thing over and over and over again for, you know, it's going to be 10 years Robert Downey Jr. has been Iron Man. Now, he's made other movies too, and I think that's one thing that lets him keep wanting to be Iron Man is that he has not only done Marvel movies his other movies haven't been great, but he's been able to do them, and so I think that lets him feel more creatively fulfilled. But it's but, natural uh, that you would get sick of doing the same thing after 10 years. But if our theory is correct, or my theory, I think you're on board, that they've structured the entire main part of the universe through Cap, mm-hmm. uh, his character, his movie, um, his movies, S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a direct sequel, basically, to The Winter Soldier. I mean, they were technically playing before that happened, but the show didn't pick up until Hydra came in. The oh, whole yeah. show's about Hydra, so that's all Cap. You know, the the ground level stuff in New York, you know, Netflix, they still talk about Cap more than any of the other Avengers. His movies are the one that push things forward. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Age of Ultron was really more of a sequel to um, Winter Soldier than it was to the first Avengers. Yeah, uh, they've it, described that as much, that the Captain America movies are like Avengers and a half. So yeah. you had Avengers 2, and then Winter Soldier is two, or Winter Soldier is one and a half, Avengers 2, and then Civil War is two and a half, basically. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know... <sighs> Interesting uh, fact about Captain America in the comics. In the first story arc in the Jessica Jones comic, Alias, her first case is she discovers who Captain America's secret uh, identity yeah. is, which is uh-huh. much m- less well-known than it is in, in the movies where almost nobody has an actual secret life. And so she's questioning, do I reveal this to the world or not? And at the end of that arc, she actually meets Captain America. So if they were ever going to bring a main guy onto the Netflix shows, maybe she'd meet Captain America. That would pretty, be pretty cool, right? I mean, I think this is all connected. <laughs> this is what's so brilliant. You know how I talk about uh, what's brilliant about Cap or one of the things is that he can exist as a celebrity in his own mythology as yeah. well and outside his own mythology in our world is that because Cap's character has had the coolest and most interesting and compelling evolution, each movie is a new movie for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is playing Captain America every time, but look at the two Avengers movies and the two Cap movies that we've seen. Completely different. Completely different. And again, Age of Ultron, with all the new characters they introduced, and, and you know, giving Hawkeye more screen time and giving Black Widow more screen time, you're going, oh my god, there's no way we're going to get enough Cap, but Cap's still the guy that you're with the whole movie that you're rooting for. And as you pointed out, is one of the better CGI battles ever. Chris Evans could pull that off with his stunt double with Ultron on the top of the, uh, the train or whatever, right? I mean, Absolutely. that was amazing. And his, his combat in Ultron, I mean, you never think that those robots aren't there. Not because they look 100% amazing, but because Cap always seems to be beating the shit out of them <laughs> the way his physicality um it, 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 it is just unbelievable i guess what i'm saying is they haven't given him any evidence that if he does another movie or two they can't do it totally differently but you know, i've been pushing for a movie with him and emily van camp we'll see how she is in civil war i've been high on her since winter soldier she's a well-established tv and film actress who's beautiful and very charismatic and an excellent actress i think it would be great to have sort of an old man logan uh cap um, movie uh, w- with Emily Van Camp a- as he struggles to reconcile his his legacy and his choices and you know go back on one last mission. I mean, do you think that's feasible that he would do like a like a Cap Four, like a, just like a like a top off kind of movie? He might do another movie. I'm not quite buying the scenario you're setting up. I do think though. Emily Van Camp, in the same way that Bucky Barnes represents, you know, one of the last vestiges of his past, of this yeah. world where he felt like he knew his place a little bit more. Mm-hmm. She is Peggy Carter's granddaughter. And again, it's this, you know, whether or not he winds up with her as a love interest, I know that they are often on lovers, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever on the, in the comics. She again represents for him a chance to recapture something of this old world that he still very clearly misses a lot. Well, and this is where being such a nerd and reading, you know, Twitter postings of these actors and seeing them interviewed on TV and so forth. Right. Uh, which is that Emily Van Camp has openly said she has a significant role in the movie. They sort of start the love interest, but it doesn't sound like it's going to get anywhere near riding into the sunset or, or even like steady dating. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we also they're only going to do that. Uh, I'm sorry. They're only going to do that if there's at least a hope of a future movie where they could explore the relationship. Otherwise, what's the point? That's you a know? fair point. That's a very fair point. Um, yeah. And I don't have a good answer to that. 
all I was going to say is we don't actually know what significant role means. I mean, we were told Gal Gadot was going to have a significant role. She's and on she, the press tour. She was the Kimmel with the main cast. She starts as a bad, with the bad guys. She ends up with the good guys. I think they're hiding Emily Van Camp from us because they know that that is – you know something important dramatically that we don't want to be spoiled about in the movie again a prediction based on what i've heard and seen Go ahead. It, i mean it is absolutely possible i would welcome it if it happens as love interests go how do you think marvel's done over the years um i'd love to hear your analysis on this go ahead i love tony and pepper Potts. Love, um love 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 i just it's just in part that's because you oh. have you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is a fantastic actress. Amazing. Um, Underutilized. You know, I, I like the chemistry that um, uh, Chris Evans had with Haley Atwell in First Avenger. I bought it that there's an attraction, but there is also sort of the desperation feeling of we're at war. You know, you could die, you know, and so could I, you know, just doing our yeah. missions. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, impacts how, how hard they want to really fall for each other and be with each other. Frankly, I, the Natalie Portman, Oh no. Uh, Chris Hemsworth thing. Oh no. It's very clear that she is sexually attracted to him. I don't quite understand what they love about each other. I've never quite bought in that relationship a whole lot, to be honest with you. But they don't they don't declare love for each other. That's the great part. Yeah, but he gives up being on uh, Asgard, being the king of Asgard, to be with her. Uh, uh, now, whether she was tricked, he was tricked into making that decision to some extent by Loki. That's a debatable question. I don't know. He doesn't say that at all. He just says, "I'm not worthy to be king." Essentially, yeah, but I need to, to be, be a warrior. I mean, even uh, in that final confrontation scene where Anthony. Hopkins speaks, but it's Loki doing the talking. Yeah, Loki says, "You're doing this to be with her." It's so obvious you're doing this to be with her. And I think th- all three love stories have have big positives and maybe a couple negatives. I think Pepper Potts, as we've talked about, um, has the best long term arc over well four movies if you include the Avengers. I mean. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow in five minutes in the Avengers just lights up the movie with Robert Downey Jr. It's ama- <laughs> that scene with Phil Coulson. She's calling him Phil. Mm-hmm. Tony's getting jealous. She Security says, oh, "That one's on you." <laughs> she goes, "I'm good at holding things." Grabs the thing, gives it to Tony, takes Tony's drink, starts drinking. Cause Tony will take the packet. What's, uh, the, what's the line? It's something like, uh, didn't you guys reject me? I didn't know that. You know, because I'm arrogant and don't get a- along well with others. I didn't know that. That I did know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, in great, I mean, this was Joss Whedon classic, you know, he, before uh, Coulson comes in, you know, Gwyneth's saying, no, you know, he's saying, oh, this is all because of you. And she goes, no, it's all because of that thing in your chest, you know, the fusion reactor or whatever. And he goes, give yourself some credit, you know, 12%. An argument can be made for 15, you know. <laughs> he realizes he says the wrong thing. And then, like, I was having 12%, 12% of the moment, but it's like 10 minutes later in the same scene, you know. It's unbelievable. Right. Like, the, the comedic timing. So they set up the, I mean, she sells Phil, you know, in addition to his, his worship for, for Captain America. Like, those two characters sell Coulson as someone important. Mm-hmm. So that when he dies halfway through, by the way, Anyone ha- <laughs> is there anyone in film history who benefited more from dying in a movie yeah, really. <laughs> than being brought back to life? 
Um, I think we're going to get some of those moments in this new movie. I, you know, I mean, it's not it's not Whedon writing it. Obviously, I do know the Russos get a pass at the script, even though it's written by McFeely and, and Marcus. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so Pepper Potts, you know, is sort of the first lady, right? Um, I love Natalie with with Hemsworth in the first movie because she totally wants to bone with him. And they don't hide it. Like, that's Natalie Portman. If Natalie Portman didn't want to be seen on screen like being extremely lusty for someone, they wouldn't show it. Probably not. Yeah, and why not? Those are two of the most attractive people on the planet. Like, you know, well, you know, it, she's a super genius and gorgeous, and he's gorgeous and is a god. You know, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I always saw that as a lust story, but yeah, the second movie takes many steps back because of the writing because they don't know if they want to continue the lust story, the love story. I actually never bought Haley Atwell uh, being in love with Steve as more than like a brother with some sexual tension. I totally bought Steve being in love with her. And that's why it works great that we mostly experience her through flashbacks and memories and so forth. Um, it's right. Isn't cap loving, um, Peggy almost like his romanticism of, of his past in world war two. Wouldn't you say to some extent, or at um, least they're, or at least they're teasing that notion, I guess. I'm not, I could be wrong. I mean, I, again, I, th- I think because both of those characters were at war and, you know, even eventually, unless I'm remembering the movie wrong, doesn't Agent Carter actually go into combat missions by the end of the movie? Aren't there a couple where she's oh, shooting she's, people and, and, and whatnot? Yeah, she's special services from, from right. the British. Um, so it's not like both of them live in a world where either of them could be killed very, very quickly. And so... They're both extremely reluctant to form romances with other people who are soldiers. Um, and I don't think it's because I didn't buy their attraction. I, I think there is something that she does find very attractive on an emotional, deep level with Captain yes. America. I think she just doesn't want to risk losing, uh, you know, losing somebody that she loves, especially because, and I'm sure they didn't know this when they wrote the character, when they flesh out her character in her own show, one of the things they talk about is that her brother is killed serving. So mm. did they know that at the time? I have no idea. But in retrospect, it makes her reluctance even more understandable. Yeah. And I think – let me rephrase. I think Haley Atwell and Chris Evans definitely have an attraction and great chemistry. I just don't think Steve – you know, being coming from a naive and physically weak person to the super soldier who's great looking now and ladies love him. Right. You know, they did a nice job in the first movie of not overplaying that. And he wasn't interested ultimately in anyone other than Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. I, I guess, you know, she's just so complicated. And if you watch, I haven't really watched her show, but I've been following the plot lines. And like, she does come on S.H.I.E.L.D. occasionally, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, um, as an old person in flashbacks to like the yeah. 80s. And she is an extremely dark person after World War II in pursuing Hydra. And, right. you know, and we see that in The Winter Soldier. She takes culpability for it, even before Cap knows what's going on. And she's in the hospital and she's dying, the old Alzheimer's version of Peggy Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all CGI, by the way, for the most part, on her face, which is just crazy huh. to think. Yeah, they did some prosthetics. But, um, but uh, you know, it's like... <sighs> You know, Cap's Cap's not dark enough for net, but now he is, and that's why it lines up perfectly with Sharon Carter, who herself seems a little naive, uh, being a Shield agent. Yeah, that was the one thing that wasn't explained uh, in the movie. How did Cap never see uh, Sharon Carter at Shield? He's there all the time. 
That's a he good knows, question. He knows who Sitwell is, right? He knows who Rumlow is. I guess he's with the tactical force. Maybe he's not in the main administration center. Um, I, I have to admit, I, I love Emily Van Camp, but the first time I saw Winter Soldier in the theater, you know, uh, Fury's in, uh, in Cap's apartment and gets shot by the Winter Soldier, yeah. and uh, Agent 13 kicks out the door, and she goes, you know, Fury sent me here to protect you, to Cap. I, I giggled. I was like, really? This this chick, you know? Is <laughs> but she sold me over the movies, you know? She totally did. She has the same idealism as Cap, and that's the most important thing. And I think that's what this movie is going to be all about, right? Is is a type of idealism, or maybe not. Maybe Cap, this is the manifestation of Cap becoming truly practical, right? And, and that Tony will be wrong in this, not morally, but practically. That maybe Steve is actually wrong ethically, but he's right from a practical standpoint that they need to have their hands free to take care of global you know, situations. Thoughts? I mean, I really don't know how this scene is, how the fight is going to resolve the, some of the reviews that I've read have described it as you really do buy that both sides are kind of right. And that's what makes the fight compelling is because yeah. you want them to stop fighting because they're both right. And you like all these characters and it, it's painful on some level to watch them battle this way. Um, so, I, I mean, I yeah, think, I mean, I mean, they have <laughs> forget Tony Stark on team Stark. They have the vision with right. the mind gem, right? Who has the wisdom of, you know, 12 billion years of the universe and maybe beyond or whatever. And then you've got T'Challa, Black Panther, who is actually ruling over a huge and extremely advanced kingdom. Mm-hmm. On Team Tony, it's going to make you think twice, especially the vision. Well, what you were talking about, about the um, kind of the practical implications of these people's existence versus the ideal or the moral they definitely hint at that in uh, Winter Soldier where they bring uh, uh, Black Widow before Congress at the end when everything's finally out in the open. And she says, despite everything that we've done, you people need us because we're the only ones who can actually protect you from the kinds of threats that we protect you from. Um, and I think that complexity of what's morally right versus what we need to have is a very one, it's an interesting issue. It's certainly a relevant one, I think, in today's geopolitical landscape. And it's certainly one I think that they've been setting up as a conflict that Captain America is going to have to deal with at some point. I thought I did come up with a couple of ideas. So I think um, we talked about doing this, but we really haven't um, is about uh, yet is treating this as the culmination of everything Marvel has been building to at this point. Um, and I think, uh, with the exception of Guardians, and if we want to get into the outliers, we can certainly do that as well. Um, but I think that's a key concept that we haven't really uh, gotten into yet, is what does this movie mean about the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And one thing that I think is important that we should talk about is that it brings in a sense of nothing that happens in these movies happens in a vacuum, there's a lot of stuff that seems to be going on in this world that we don't see on screen or that happens in the days and months between the movies, um, which is kind of what I think makes comic books and superhero movies a unique genre. And that finally, we are also seeing that there is some sense of accountability for all of this. You know, I think there's a scene in the previews where they actually lay out for Captain America who, how many people died in the Avengers, how many billions of dollars it cost, how many people died in Sokovia, how many billions of dollars it cost. 
And so what we are finally seeing is that these characters are being brought to task a little bit. No, keep going. I'm recording. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm tired of not recording it. Go ahead. Gotcha. So, <laughs> yeah, we I'll did probably it. leave some gold in the uh, in the pregame uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's okay. You know, so what we have with these movies is we've had, what, about a dozen now Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, something like that? Nine? That sounds ten? right. No, I think it's closer to 11, 12. Okay, so we've right. got about a dozen of these movies and by now, what we have with Civil War, to me, is the culmination of all of it, except for Guardians. We still don't know how Guardians, and I guess Thor, you know, the, we don't know how the universe, literally the universe, quite works yet. But on Earth, this is the movie that I think is finally going to bring in the entire, I used the word geopolitical once already, but I'm going to use it again, geopolitical landscape of what superheroes mean in this world, yeah. which is... To bring in another property, the fundamental question of Watchmen, which was not a great movie but is considered one of the best graphic novels of all time. And one of the questions it asked is, if superheroes really exist, what would countries do? How would the world actually react to these beings? Would they be government agents? Would they be required to register in some capacity? And in Watchmen, some of them do. Would they be, you know, how would they be personally? Would they be glory hounds or psychopaths or megalomaniacs? You know, if they act on their own, are they morally good or morally bad? You know, the, the, that graphic novel ends with one of the main characters achieving his goal, which is to make the world a better place in a way that is a demonstrably good goal. But the way he goes about doing it is horrifying. Um, and so is he a good guy or a bad guy? The one actual superpowered person in that world, you know, when he sees what this guy does to achieve his goals is very noncommittal about how he feels about it. Other than to say nothing ends. So this process that you've started isn't over. So whether it's a victory or a failure, it's not going to be your last one. So what do you do next? Um, and so I feel like this movie is finally going to be the one that answers what does the world do with superheroes now that they exist? And what do the superheroes do when they react to how the world wants to use them? You know, how the world thinks they should live in, the, live in it, basically. And this is... <laughs> this is a mistake in Batman v Superman that if you took out, it wouldn't matter because they still have so many other fucking mistakes in that movie. But to try it and be like Civil War rather than X-Men Apocalypse was stupid for Batman v Superman. It was yeah. stupid. They tried to force in political themes they didn't earn. I mean, right. we have earned this over 12 Marvel movies, three seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, I mean, you know, Netflix series, like we have earned this confrontation. Right. You know, which since the Avengers, which was I think now three, four years ago, all of the movies since the Avengers have been asking these larger questions. The Avengers is about what is power, how do you use it? Uh, you know, do we, by trying to create something more powerful than what we have, invite conflict that is more powerful than anything we've ever faced? You know, when Thor says your experiments with the cube is a signal that the Earth is ready for a higher class of warfare. Yep. And Winter Soldier has complex political themes as well. Even Age of Ultron, which I didn't see as much of a strong political message in. I'm betting no. somebody who loves the movie more than I did could probably find one pretty I mean, easily. it's not really fair. And this is where I'm going to just stand up for Joss Whedon. Is that Whedon 
the Tony Steve conflict in Civil War is going to be ten times more potent because of Age of Ultron. Yes, if you jump, yeah, Age straight, of Ultron sets yeah. up all the personal relationships yeah. and the and the, dis- and the dissolution says, of the team. And Tony says, "I don't trust a guy without a dark side." And Steve breaks a log in half with his hands and says, "You just haven't seen it yet." I mean, they set up everything with Civil War with this movie, yeah, with that movie. And, and look, I, I I don't think anyone should ever say I like a movie because it set up something else. Well, I'm just pointing out the obvious, which is that Joss Whedon with the Avengers movies has really been seeding the solo movies as opposed to the other way around, right. um, and I think deserves some credit for that. And so that when he you know goes a little overboard in certain directions, I'm totally cool with it. Um, so just just a really quick just nod to all you don't have to respond if you don't want quick nod to Ultron and, and Joss Whedon and the cast and the writer well he wrote it to, to, to get it to this point I mean Ultron with Sokovia that is the ultimate disaster right because right. N- Battle of New York was semi caused by S.H.I.E.L.D. but they didn't know what they were doing mm-hmm. right and then uh, the Winter Soldier was Hydra right. which wasn't technically an American organization even though it has a lot of Americans in it but you know Ultron was the first and this, as you know, in comic books, I'm sure DC's like this. I mean, at least half the storylines in comic books are, are are the good guys starting problems and then having to stop them from destroying everyone else because of good intentions, right? Right. No, it's, so, yeah. it's the critical – when we did, I, I think, the Batman v Superman review, I called it the chicken and the egg question of superheroes. And it's I'm so question- glad you brought this up, Matt. Oh, my God. Go ahead. All right. It's some, the question that, that has never, ever been answered in any way because it's an impossible question to answer. And the question is, do the superheroes create the supervillains or the supervillains create the superheroes? And in Age of Ultron, in that particular instance, it is very black and white. The superheroes create the supervillain. Even if maybe Scarlet Witch was manipulating Tony Stark a little bit, it's also very clear that that was something he really wanted to do and believed he could do because on his own he was already creating robots to fight his battles for him. Yep. Um, I, I'm. You're mentioning that idea in that way in the past podcast. I, I miss my chance to bring in some Taoism, which I'm always trying to do because I think it's it, it's the most uh, informative and interesting um, uh, view of the, the flow of the universe and our part in it. But right. what you are describing, and you being a religion person will know this, is what we call mutually entailing binaries or mutually entailing opposites, which is the chicken and the egg, but just talking about specific opposites. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of opposites. You can't have one without the other. Right. They're defined by each other, right? And that's what, they, that's what Lex Luthor thought he was doing with Batman and Superman. He was totally wrong. They're actually on the same side, even though we can't tell what the fuck's going on. But, you know, the whole good versus bad, day versus night, which one comes first, blah, 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 blah. And one of my favorite lines, um, I'm not going to be able to quote this exactly. It's in chapter, I think, uh, 57... Of, of yeah, here it is, fifty-seven of the Dao Te Ching, and it talks about well, the, the literal the literal translation is the more legal affairs are given prominence, the more numerous bandits and thieves. Mm-hmm. Um, and another way of saying that is, you know, as I as I put it in my in my work on Taoism, with every locked door you create a new criminal. Right. Right. Uh, now, what I will say, changing topics only slightly, and then we can get back Sorry, to this. Sorry, I got really excited well, about that, because I, I like, literally had this keyed up. I was like, oh, I want to talk to Matt about this. I, well, if I re- you want to talk about what we hope Civil War yes, is... go, go, go. I hope that it does deal with this question in a mature, intelligent way. Yeah. One of Batman v Superman's biggest problems, of which oh, there are so thousands that we I laid know, out so in our last so podcast, is that 
the promise of the trailers that they were going to address this question, they never actually do. The scene where he's supposed to finally be confronted by the government is a bait and switch scene that actually is just a dumb action moment where the courtroom explodes. Um, they never actually address this question. They make you think they're going to address it. And then instead, the you know Lex Luthor's ha- uh, jury-rigged uh, wheelchair explodes and kills everybody. Yep. And the scene is meaningless because nobody actually seems to blame Superman for that incident. Uh, it seems to be pretty quickly proven it wasn't him um, because it's hard to, you know, even a basic forensics guy could probably find some wreckage of a wheelchair and say, hmm, there's some weird explosive material in this. I wonder if it was rigged to explode. Um, and this is why it's not fair to Hen- um, Henry Cavill. Quick side note is you can't give him no you know, ex- established extended universe and expect him to be Iron Man, right? I mean, it's, it, <laughs> you know, it, Wait, it's one thing, like with X-Men, for example, okay, 2000, 2003, X2, they started with team-ups, but that didn't mean they didn't know they had a lot of world building to do, right? right? With Between Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, there's been almost no substantive world building from a, a character and drama standpoint. No. Forget the cos- cosmological whatever setup of what's going on, you know? And, and so, yeah, Henry Cavill may be limited, sure, but, you know, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. now has a dozen movies, of which he's appeared in half almost, <laughs> to draw from on this role. Um, and so just another thing that Batman v Superman didn't do. Um, and that's why I think just a, a quick sidebar is that I think this, this helps X-Men Apocalypse because you'll have had one movie that tries to deal with political issues in a terrible way. And then you'll have one that deals with them at least in a good way, if not a great way. And then X-Men Apocalypse is just going to be a, a SmackDown drag out, fun, colorful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone's going to be like, all right, we're sick of political issues. Let's see, you know, fucking yeah, Magneto X-Men Apocalypse and Apocalypse. doesn't yeah. seem like it's about anything. It's, you know, all these questions about the one Finally. side that wants to wipe but, out the humans and the other side of the Well, think about it, man. Don't. It's time for us X-Men fans. X-1, the Mutant Registration Act. Right. X-2, mutants and humans trying to create genocide against each other. Right. You know, X-3, humans and mutants, or, or the third, I'm sorry, the third Ryan Singer movie. But, you know, there's, there's a future past uh, trying to kill one side or the other with all these political connotations. Like, finally, we have a, just a straight up mutants, good mutants against bad mutants story. I guess that's what X-Men Last Stand was supposed to be, but it was just so terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the premise is definitely um, Last Stand and Apocalypse are the most similar to each other. It's just, it's not, it just wasn't well executed. It wasn't well written. It. I don't know what story they based that off. I guess they based it off the Phoenix story, but that's not what the Phoenix saga is about. Yeah. So, I mean... As I, I understand say, it, the yeah. Phoenix Saga is not about creating a war between the different, you know, sides of the of mutants, is it? it I thought it's about something else. Um, doesn't she so, want to destroy the world or or something because sorry, she's who? so godlike? Phoenix. Who? Oh, the dark in the Phoenix. comics. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I full, read the full <clears throat> Dark Phoenix Saga. I had to put it together through reading in the late eighties, early nineties, and and uh, reading online. Um, I think she's just crazy. I mean, I think she's like she's like the Scarlet Witch in House of M. Basically, oh, okay, she's just so like fine. homicidal. Yeah. So I mean, to have a just a SmackDown brawl if it's well executed, I think it's going to be more. I think that's what they're showing us now. But being Brian Singer, I'm sure there's got to be more going on there. There is, but Brian Singer has never been super heavy handed with 
uh, like throwing larger themes onto his onto his X movies. Um, I, I actually think he doesn't even really try all that much to insert a larger theme into them. I mean, well, and that's the, because the humans again, don't like yeah. mutants because they're afraid of them. Exactly. That's been that's stated all you since need. the first one. I right. know, but that's it. You know, even no, in first no. class where we where the world meets mutants for the first time. <laughs> right. There's no reason why they don't like them. They just don't like them. They're afraid of them because they represent the next whatever. Nah, X1 and X2 do a a very good job, I think, of setting up the fear of mutants. And that's the whole point. The whole point is it stirred up fear into us outsiders. It's obvious. That's the way it is in the comics, too. It's just like it's, it's, it's... it's not that everyone hates mutants. It's that it's easy to speak to the 80% of idiots out there or whatever. Uh, but I, I think it, this goes back to my argument about how what's great about the X-Men, it's the shortest point, you know, sh- shortest route between two points. It gives us a reason to hate them and to identify them. And you can relate that to the Holocaust. You can relate that to gypsies. You can relate that to Armenians and Turkey. You can relate that to Shias and Sunni countries. You can relate that to Sunni and Shia countries. Black people that to- in America. Black people in America, all of Africa. The civil rights movement was one of the major inspirations of, you know, that X, Professor X is supposed to be MLK and Magneto is supposed to be Mark X. So, yeah, I mean, some people don't realize that the genocide in Rwanda between um, the Tutsis and the Hutus, the Tutsis, I think it was the Tutsis, were favored by the British imperialists because they were lighter skinned and looked, quote unquote, more European. Um, ultimately, um, or at least that what I was, <laughs> that's what I was taught at Wesleyan. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but that's the thing, you know, so with, with the X-Men, you don't have to spend, you know, you do get fam like five minutes into X1, you get Famke Jensen in front of the UN and, and the anti-mutant sentiment going and so forth. I like that Brian Singer hasn't been here. And that's the thing. I always call X-Men heavy handed, but it's just heavy. It's not yeah. always rubbing it in your face. It's very intelligent, which is one of the reasons I can still read some X-Men comic books today. Go ahead. Well, what I, I think is just that Brian Singer made his point about this world, I think, in the first movie, and he just doesn't mm-hmm. feel the need to keep beating you over the head yeah. with it. You know, the dynamic never seems to change. You know, it doesn't matter how many times the mutants save a president or save the world or save all of humanity. You can't solve racism, and this is a metaphor for racism – by, you know, doing X number of good deeds. It's not like accomplishing something in a video game where you just tick off enough tasks and then you win the game, basically. That's mm. not how you solve racism. So these guys have to decide, do they want to keep fighting to save people, even though saving them is not going to be what ultimately wins them over? Mm-hmm. Um, and because he's made that point already, he doesn't need to keep making it over and over and over and over again. So now you simply have... Some mutants who want to kill all the humans and some mutants who don't, and they're just going to fight. And that's cool. I mean, I'm fine with that. I'm excited for that. I think there's going to be more going on, especially because we know Storm. There and probably, might be. There's usually yeah. some little you know, spin-off idea out of that. But that central sure. theme that these two sides don't like each other and there's no way to solve that through action, at yep. least not this kind of action. Well, um, dude, here, here's... X-Men has one of those good problems, as I call them, which is this was obviously supposed to be the handoff movie, right? I mean, all the new X-Men, 
the contracts with, with Lawrence Fassbender and McAvoy were up mm-hmm. as of six months to a year ago. They were expressing that they were excited about this project, but they probably weren't coming back. Yeah. But in the last six months, at least McAvoy and, and Lawrence, and I think Fassbender have multiple times been very open. They do want to come back, which means this movie is, I don't know if it's going to be good X-Men Apocalypse, but they had a fucking great time making it. And I so, that, so that's a good time. And if, if Jennifer Lawrence, who can have any movie she wants is publicly saying i want to come back uh you kind of have to and and maybe that's what i said it's one of those good problems no no i agree with you and it goes back to what i said about robert downey jr which is in the case of fassbender and lawrence they have both been able to make plenty of other movies to explore the other kinds of you know acting they probably also want to do in their lives you know, Jennifer Lawrence has had plenty of time to be in movies that get, you know, that are dramas where she can get nominated for Oscars three and even win a couple. She's 25, three nominations. Yeah, and a win. I mean, she's, she's a win. being an, in the X universe is not hindering her ability to make other movies. Fassbender, you know, he got, uh, he was nominated for an Oscar, I think, for Steve Jobs or Jobs, whatever it was called. Um, he was in Slow West, so he got to make a Western and be a, a guy with a bad, you know, Midwestern, Southern, you know, cowboy accent and ride horses and shoot guns at people. And it's a great movie. Um, McAvoy has not done as much outside of the X movies. Um, No, he has. He's just not as high profile of an actor doing amazing movies. I mean, I I think he's ridiculously talented, but Fassbender and Lawrence are... I loved him in The Last King of Scotland. I I thought he was fantastic in that. I love that movie. It's so crazy. That's a great movie. Great, great I, I movie. listened to your guys, uh, you and Gabriel's Bizzlecast about race in, in movies, uh, mm. and I, it was very fascinating. But I, I remember the part where you guys were talking about that film about you know the complicated reality of who Idi Amin was, but the movie is just so well done and he embodies yeah. the role. But you know, you buy Fastbent. I'm sorry, McAvoy's a good actor, and you kind of buy why he gets sucked in and, and mesmerized, for lack of a better word, and then and then kind of comes to his senses. Um, but let's get yeah. back to comic books. No, no, no I'm, gl- I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you got a chance to listen to it. And we're, we're approaching 150 on that, and I haven't gotten a single uh, uh, negative email <laughs> or Twitter, which means that as a white dude, I, I held my own at least <laughs> um, to the extent that I could. I've been getting all positive feedback from people of all types of colors, so that's great. That was a great podcast. Glad you got a chance to check that out. And maybe this is a good transition. This is a good transition. If you had to ask me what the sort of three things I'm most excited about in the next three to five years of comic books uh, that aren't movie-specific, that are over numerous movies or whatever, numerous um, universes, Mm -hmm. is people of color. Yeah, I was figuring it was going to be the introduction of a more diversified leading superhero roles. Dude, Chadwick Boseman, I'm telling you, man, this Black Panther movie with Coogler and Boseman, I know I've been, you know, I've been whoring this for at least a year now. <laughs> as long as I've been doing the Bizzlecast, over a year, um, ever since I learned about him and that Chadwick Boseman would be playing him and doing my research on Black, Pow- on Black Power, on Black Panther, which is related to Black Power and will be interesting to see how that is addressed in 2018. Um, the comic I mean, books. The character is called Black Panther. There's exactly. no way they came up with that name without thinking, okay, we're going to be dealing with race and specifically race relations in the U.S. Even if the character is the prince of an and then king of an oh, African yeah. nation. 
And think about it. You got a bunch of nerdy Jewish guys in New York. They're like, hey, it's the 60s. Black Panther is kind of a controversial thing. What do they say? They didn't say, let's avoid it. They go, nope, we're going to name one of our characters Black Panther. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, it's though. Amazing. I mean, I've never read the Black Panther 1969 Fantastic Four was the first appearance. Yeah, but as I understand it, he really came into his own in the 90s. I mean, we ta- you talked to me about the guy who uh, used to run was- BET, who made yeah. the, the anime that really kind of brought him to public. Yep. Light. I mean, he, he's really come on in the last 20 years, right? Yeah. I, I, in fact, I have a subscription pending to the new Black Panther, seating, uh, um, new Black Panther series right. by um, – Coates, I can never pronounce his first name, um, brilliant African-American writer, writes for The Atlantic and, and other publications. Uh, he sent me an article about this guy. It sounded like he really has got a good grasp on the character. Yeah, the uh, problem is you order the whole series, you get a good discount, but it takes like 10 weeks for the issues to start coming. <laughs> I haven't ordered comic books since the 90s. I'm like, really? This is where we are? I, I mean, I'm going to get it half price, but I got to... Uh, so I'm waiting on these books. I paid for them like a month ago. I don't even have any money. I, come on, people. Give me the comic books. Anyways, Black Panther decide. series, but yeah, Reggie, Reggie Hudlin from BET um, yeah. came into the picture like early mid two thousands to reboot the series, and uh, he, he, up till today, for the most part, his stuff has you know been the best. Although what's great about Black Panther is a lot of writers from other series have found great ways to work him in, and that's how he stayed such a popular character after all these years. And uh, I mentioned in a previous podcast that I gave Matt. Um, a new Avengers, uh, oh, it's a hardback, I think, but it's a trade yeah. paperback, essentially. Um, and, you know, it's not the best comic ever, but the Black Panther stuff in the beginning, I love. I mean, aesthetically, yeah. if nothing else, is really fucking cool. And, and you know, and these, are, and these are Jonathan Hickman and other writers that aren't doing Black Panther stuff, but we finally, in 2016, we're giving, you know, one of the most literate journalists in the country a shot at Black Panther, an African-American man, relatively young, I think that's pretty cool. I think so, too. Um, and this is what I'm excited about. Like and, sto- and I like yeah. that, just to bring in that trade yeah, really go. briefly, it's about a comic character group called the Illuminati who are considered to yep. be the six or seven smartest people in, on Earth. And one of them is the king of a Central African nation. That is really cool, and that is a super progressive idea compared with how Africa has been portrayed in mass media Dating back to Heart of Darkness, basically. I mean, <sighs> I don't even know what to say. No, you're totally right. I'm just, you know, I'm sitting here. I've been waiting two years for Civil War, and we're here, and we're we're getting. Fu- and I haven't been sending them to you because I know you don't like to be spoiled. But they've been they've been uh, putting out thir- you know a bunch of thirty second one minute clips of like short fight scenes from the movie, like none of the big stuff, just like some scraps or whatever, you know. And they released one today of all, you know, Team Stark all trying to take down Bucky as he's escaping, the Winter Soldier. You've seen the scene in the trailer where Bucky shoots him in the eye. Um, he's, got the, he's got the watch on his hand and it turns into the Iron Man hand. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And he grabs Bucky and he's got bulletproof glasses and Bucky yeah, shoots yeah, him. Yeah, I know point exactly. Blank. Yeah, okay, okay. About. Anyways, so this is that scene. They just show us some more. 
And he kicks Tony's ass. He kicks Black Widow's ass. He kicks some blonde's ass who doesn't look like Emily Van Camp. I don't get a good view of her. Could be Emily Van Camp, like he's escaping the CIA or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, here comes Black Panther. Nope. It's T'Challa in a black jumpsuit, just like a, a sweatsuit, basically, taking on the Winter Soldier. I was shitting myself. This character, I think, is going to be... I mean, is it fair to say that after Cap and the main players, Black Panther and maybe Spider-Man, are, are sort of kind of the main thing that people are going to be really excited about coming out of this? Oh, absolutely. If the if the critical and mass you know mass audience appeal is the same... I, yeah, Chadwick Boseman and, and Tom Holland are going to be the two big names that come out of this movie that aren't already established. I mean, I, I, you know, and this should be every little kid, but if I'm a nine-year-old black boy and I see this movie with Black Panther and Spider-Man, I'd be shitting myself. Oh I my don't feel I, at all qualified to answer that. To- I, I, that's what I'm saying. Oh, but, but that's what's great. I mean, this is what they have to do, and I think they're going to do because Bozeman's so brilliant and the costume looks amazing. Is You're going to have white kids dressing like Black Panther at Halloween, and they're not even going to know what it's referring to. And to me, that's progress, right? This is the whole, should you know, ba- we ban the N-word? Or we should just forget about it, right? We should just not say it. The point being, you know, it, this is really going to test the post-racial era. Because you've got one of the hottest African-American actors in Hollywood in Bozeman, I would say. Or at least most well-respected. You've definitely got the, the hottest um, young African-American director, who's only 29 or 30, Ryan Coogler, who's writing and, uh, co-writing and directing uh, the Black Panther movie. And you've got Marvel behind it with $200 million at least. I'm thinking that movie's going to be 220 by the time we get to 2018. Um, are you cool to, to rap about Black Panther for a couple minutes? Because I've been holding this in forever, and now I just <laughs> am starting to get so... I mean, what... It, this has to be in Africa, right? Oh, right. by the way, they announced that there's going to be at least four major female characters in Black Panther. So it's not just going to be a lot of black people. It's going to be a lot of women and men, which is great. Um, they're being very upfront about all this. Um... I mean, he has, a, you know, he has an army of female Amazons, basically, you know, female warriors, uh, whose name is escaping me. Um, oh God, I'm lo- I'm losing I'm losing nerd points here. I can't remember the name, but um, I mean, I mean, how do you even try it? Here's a question: If you're doing Black Panther, do you just run with the coolest visions and just say, "Screw it, this is going to be awesome," and and people will just come to it even if they don't totally understand it? Or would you try and kind of, you know, water it down a little bit uh, to people who know nothing about who? Let's put it this way: you have the people who think Africa is a country. Let's talk. Think about those <laughs> people, right? They're going to have that problem. They're going to people are like, wait a minute, I thought that was a country. Yeah, I mean. I, I I wish I had a good answer on how to, on how to deal with that. I I don't. I certainly think. Well, what they would are you like have... to see? Because I've been to Africa. I ran an African music company. I've been to Africa a ton of times. Been to like twelve African countries. I know it well. A lot of close African friends. What you know. I want to see is a movie shot in Africa. Yes. I can't tell you what nation would be the ideal nation to do it in. I, I don't. It's probably going to be Johannesburg in Kenya. Would would be my. Uh, Okay, or, or or Ghana, perhaps. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I want a translation of how Wakanda is portrayed in the comics. I mean, it is 
not just an advanced nation. It is a nation whose technology uh, is far beyond what the greater world has access to. I mean, it's like the most technologically advanced nation in the world, right? Yep. Like to the point that they have to keep themselves secret to some extent. Um, yeah, yeah. We don't even know where in Africa. I mean, you, you said Central Africa. That's where I've always placed it. That seems to make the most sense. In the middle of the jungle, that would be the hardest to find. Right. Um, you know, it, certainly not North or West. Southern Africa is a possibility. It's supposedly based on the Zimbabwean um, okay. kingdoms of like the thir- 13th to the 1500s, I believe. There's some amazing stone um, ruins and architecture from like at least five to seven hundred years ago of okay. a very major kingdom centered around Zimbabwe. It's a very right. proud nation. That's part of what makes their has made their downfall so 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 sad. Is that you know because Africa was a non writing um, for the most part in in sub-Saharan Africa wasn't a lot of written stuff, but the oral histories were unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But when those ethnic groups get wiped out, you lose those oral histories. Right. Um, and so we don't have a ton of evidence, but we know that there were two or three major kingdoms. Um, two of them were in West Africa, what's now Ghana and Mali and that area, and one of them Zimbabwe. I, so I've heard that, that it's based on, on, on sort of Zimbabwe, Southern Africa, which is great because most people who know – you know, know stuff about Africa. It's it's Western Africa, or you know, like they've been to Kenya or Tanzania, or like the North, you know, whatever. I guess what's cool for Black Panther um, about Black Panther for me, for what I know about it, what I've read, is that it's not just like they're saying, "Hey, let's take a poor African country and make it rich. We'll give them vibranium," which is like would be the easy way to do it. It totally works. Right. It it, it 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 feels and, be, and part of it is because yes they're advanced they they advanced technology and very rich but their their culture is very African. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is in the comic that you sent me, and I I'm going to assume this is the way Wakanda has always been portrayed. They are everybody's educated. They're so, super technologically advanced, but the the garb they wear is still what we would kind of think of as tribal or tribal inspired. Um, am I, if I'm not wrong, no, you're, you're right on. And, and okay. Thing, so if that's yeah. the case, I want to make sure I want Kugler to not be afraid to portray the, the people of Wakanda that, that way to have them dress that nah, way. They're going to be elegant. They're going to be beautiful. I think they're going to do a perfect translation. Right. It's going to be, yeah, it almost feels like, um, kimonos, but African style or something. You know okay. what I mean? Like, like, yes, it's loose and flowing. I mean, that's the thing though. You go to Africa even the poorest families have the gorgeous African, like they, they will spend the little money they have other than food to make sure, because they're so proud of their heritage. And that's the thing. This is the first movie that could legitimately do really, really well in Africa because it's Marvel and Disney. And then you had the black Panther element, you know, Gabriel talked in our podcast about seeing it in Ghana, not seeing star Wars, and star Ghana. Wars, yeah. and, Ghana. and that yeah. there's still the movie going culture. My point was only it would be a, a cop-out that I don't think Kugler would do, but a lesser director might of this is a technologically advanced, educated nation, so they have to dress like Westerners um, to make no, it more palatable to a Western audience. Yeah. I, I, that's a terrible idea, that's but it's one happen. that I could see corporate executives or shitty directors who don't know how to stand up for their own vision giving into. 
Um, so and this what, is what's and, and this was so brilliant though. What's so brilliant is introducing Wakanda in name in Ultron, but more importantly, introducing T'Challa as an actual person, human being, right. who's going to be brilliant and you know extremely wise and knowledgeable and powerful. Um, but engaging at the same time, you sell the character and then you can sell everything else. It seems to me. I, I also and, think, and I'm sorry, one more last thing. I, I just find Africa so appealing. I spent so much time and money and, and parts of my life in the last 13 years with Africa. I find the, not just the aesthetic, but the people that I've met there so appealing. I hope they can communicate that with the movie. I know the filmmakers will, will try to do that. I just hope that it communicates. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I totally agree. I, I just, uh, you know, I think it's certainly a challenge. There's going to be have to be a little bit of give and take, but I want this movie to be not afraid to go whole hog on the notion that this is a nation in Africa. It's a nation that clearly the rest of the world is only sort of aware of, because when Bruce Banner is tracking where the vibranium comes from. He can't pronounce Wakanda because he's never heard of it. And he's probably yeah. one of the Wakanada. 10 smartest people in the world. And he's yeah. never even heard of this country. Yeah. Um, I find cool. that fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating. I think it's going to be a much, 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 much cooler and better and more interesting avatar, is my mm-hmm. guess, for the first movie. And what's going to make it cooler is they are so advanced and powerful. That's the thing. They don't have an army the size of our army, for example. Right. It, but, but their power per capita, if that makes sense, like, is extremely high. You know, they could defend their borders with a much, much smaller army. And, you know, I mean, they should, in my opinion, do an imperialism story. And well, I think certainly if you're going to have a, a bad guy who is white, I mean, Ulysses Claw, I'm assuming, is going to be the big bad or one of the big bads. He's a South African mercenary. He's like Leo in Blood, Blood Diamond. He's a South African mercenary. He's not right. a good guy. So that naturally you know, begs questions and comparisons of you know, relating to apartheid and, and other instances of white colonialism oppressing native black people in Africa. Um, you know, Martin Freeman, I think, is playing a bad guy who's also white and is English. I mean, this all this stuff is easy to think this is something that they need to deal with. And, and I'm hoping that they will be able to do it with a deft touch and in a mature, intelligent way. Um, yeah, because I think Marvel in this last bunch of movies has done a good job of raising questions in a way that doesn't dumb shit down for the audience and ask the audience to meet them halfway a little bit on it. Uh, in a way that Batman v Superman utterly didn't even try to, um, or maybe it tried to and failed. So we got Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa slash Black Panther. And by the way, people out there, if you're not familiar with Black Panther, the Black Panther status is earned, not given. Um, most people do not know that. Um, it generally is held by the line of kings, of which T'Challa is a part, and right. he indeed does it. But you have to win it in combat, and if you're challenged to combat. But what's great is it's not like Africans slaughtering each other. It's very civilized. It's like a duel, you know, in the old days, or like you know, uh, like like a fight between two samurai, for example, mm-hmm. in 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 the sh- in the shogun the, in Japan. Um, and so you have to earn the Black Panther status. You got Anthony Mackie, who in real life is hilarious. If you've ever seen him, he. He's even way cockier than than Sam Wilson, 
you know, he, he wears like powder blue suits. He's like he's like Shaft, man. You should have heard him on Jimmy Kimmel the other night. And it was, he he's he loves making you know like you know black white people jokes or whatever. They just get along so well. Obviously, <laughs> we know that he gets along with with Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan and so forth. That's a great partnership. So we got Sam Wilson. Uh, the Falcon, uh, and we got Don Cheadle, who I think is going to die. Everyone thinks he's not going to die because we see him supposedly die in the trailer or whatever. I actually think he is going to die. Don Cheadle is not a young man. And if Robert, <laughs> Dunne- if, if Robert Downey Jr. is headed on the outs, there's no way Don Cheadle is going to head to the ends for a long period of time. I, I, I don't know. I To say I haven't liked or disliked what they've done with War Machine in the movies. Oh, and Ultron, it was awesome. Just Sokovia is amazing. He he showed up on the shoulder. But as a character, he's not super important. No, Um, but it was awesome. He he doesn't change or grow. He's just kind of a background character, and that's fine. Whatever. Wait, can I give you one of my favorite lines from Ultron? So that's at the end at Sokovia, and the helicarrier shows up, and it gives you chills, and you're like, oh, they're back, and they deploy War Machine, and Iron Man, who's doing like literally 12 things at once, and that's like, you know, he's trying to. You know, <laughs> he is, but he's trying to leave the whole just thing. Iron Man again. I, this is one yeah. of the problems with his character is it's a derivative character who has the same power set as another guy. Well, that doesn't matter to me, though, because Robert Downey Jr. and Don Cheadle are brilliant seasoned actors who have great chemistry together. They they're are. Flying, they're flying side by side. They're making cracks at each other. And uh, Don Cheadle goes, oh, this is going to be a good story. And, and Robert Downey Jr. goes... If you get through this, Don Cheadle goes, what, you think I can't hold my own? And Robert Downey Jr. goes, if we get through this, I'll hold your own. <laughs> That's a great line. Don I, Cheadle goes, you had to make this weird, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> my concern, I, I don't want him to die, not because I love Don Cheadle or War Machine, but because if this becomes a Tony Stark revenge scenario, you know, that you killed a friend, you know, Bucky killed a friend of mine, I have to bring killed him Killed his in. dad. Or, or whatever. In the comics, Bucky killed, killed that, Tony Stark. That's true. Yeah. Um, but if it's it just is. what sparks all this off is he kills Tony Stark's friend, and that's how we have to. That's why they go after him. That to me is a little bit weaker than what I want, which is a, a larger no. question about the morality of what these people are doing. In the comic, Civil War is sparked when a, a small team of young superheroes, basically trying to do a reality show, confront a bad guy. One of them has nuclear powers and he explodes. I can't remember why. And he causes a nuclear explosion in a, a um, suburb of whatever city it's in. And so it's a horrible tragedy that kills a lot of innocent victims. And it sparks this question of we can't keep letting these people running, run around completely unsupervised uh, and without holding them accountable for the secondary damage and loss of life that comes with what they do. I want something much more tangible and powerful um, and believable on a greater scale than what I think the death of Tony, of uh, Rhodey would be, which is just a personal, I'm mad, right. I am dealing with my rage by coming after your buddy. I mean, this, this is not a spoiler here, Abyssalcast listeners, but it's pretty clear that we know that there's a major in- international incident early involving the Winter Soldier that's apparently not his fault, and that's the pretext for this whole thing. Right. Um, 
But we also, I think, no. I mean, I had predicted this even before I knew about the comics or, or thought this might be the case based on how they framed it in Winter Soldier about Tony Stark's dead, accidental death. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, it seems like that you would use the asset for that because Tony Stark was such a powerful good guy, supposedly, or whatever. Not Tony Stark. Um, Howard Stark. So I, I have to think, I don't know inside knowledge that they're going to at least be a suspicion that Bucky was the one who killed Howard Stark, which is great because if he's wrongly accused of two things, like that's what brings you back to if, if, if it is as right. evenly balanced as you say, where we're going to sympathize with both sides, the wrongful imprisonment of Bucky would be a thing to bring us back to Cap's side immediately. And mm-hmm. it is, by the way, people called Captain America Civil War. So if you're an Iron Man fan, I loved Iron Man growing up. I love Robert Downey Jr., this is a Captain America movie. He's going to be the good guy. Uh, so the fact that they're even attempting to have a balance here, I think, is very impressive. Don't you? I do. I, 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 what I think is going to happen is the majority of the screen time is going to be focused on Cap's side. I think Tony Stark, I think there are plenty of scenes we haven't seen in the trailers so far. But I think we have also seen a lot of the scenes that Tony Stark is in. And we haven't seen a lot of the scenes that Captain America is in. I think when if you do the math on who's got more screen time, I think it's a Captain America movie, and it's definitely going to be Captain America with Tony Stark showing up from time to time. I mean, you get the sense when Tony shows up I, I for the first time. I hope that's not the time. case for Marvel's sake, because they paid him like $50 million to do this movie. Yeah, but they don't care. I mean, this, these movies make a billion apiece. They can know, pay Robert Downey Jr., Whatever the hell he wants. I uh, just think – I think – I disagree. I think he's going to have more screen time than you'd think. But it's going to be broken up. And okay. I, 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 I think there's a big chunk in the beginning that's we're going to get real narrative and story and character building with Cap and Bucky and Sam Wilson. It's not a coincidence. We already know that Ant-Man is going to be great but not that much in the movie. It's going to be about Bucky, Sam, and Cap, those three best buddies – um, or, or you think that Sam at least would be buddies with Winter Soldier, if just for Cap's sake, nothing else. Of course, here's another major moral issue, man, is even if the Winter Soldier is innocent of these crimes or whatever that happy, happened early on in the film, does that forgive the fact that he was used against the will to kill people for like the last 70 years? I, you know, from a moral standpoint, if he was truly being controlled, I can't hold him culpable. But yeah, in our world, everyone would want to string him up to die. Isn't that enough to go after him already? I don't know. I Probably. Um I mean, he it almost killed Fury. In, Sorry, in, in, no, no, I was just going to say, forget about what he did in the past. He tried to and almost killed Fury, and he tried to and almost killed Cap. So That's true. That's certainly true. And you do – you get the sense, even from the little bits of lines we've seen from Bucky so far in the trailers, that he does – he is starting to really feel tormented about yep. what he did, whether or not he is at fault or not. That's a good point. I would have a hunch that Bucky is going to wind up maybe even turning himself in on some level that Cap ah. is going to be willing to fight for his friend, but Bucky is like, look, whether this is my fault or not, I did these things and I need to pay a price for them. That, that might not be, be the end of the movie, but I would not be surprised if that was a moment in the movie at least. That would be really interesting <laughs> if Cap actually has to convince Bucky to break out of jail or something like that. That would be or great. Or breaks yeah. out of jail or if... Yeah. He, well, or they're he, definitely going to break him out. tries to convince him, don't do this, 
And maybe that's finally what starts to wake Cap up to the collateral damage of what he's doing with his oppositional side is maybe not worth the fight anymore. Um, If he's doing it to protect his friend from prosecution, and even his friend is thinking maybe it's time that I, I give in, that would certainly be an interesting moral question for him about, you know, what is driving him to do all of this? Because um, we still don't really know. Right. So I think it was you that talked a little bit about, in a previous podcast, Civil War being related to the Patriot Act? Yes. Okay. Do you want to elaborate on that at all? Only that a comic book, you know, the comic was written and people really saw, I think the writers even said, yeah, we don't know, I don't know that what the statement is about the the Patriot Act, but a plot about government referenda that force the superhumans to, one, they have to register and come out publicly with what their alternate identities are. They can't have secret identities anymore. The government has to know who they are. They have to know what they're doing, and they have to be accountable at all times for the use of their powers. This, this comic came out at the same time that the government passed legislation that gave it sweeping power to acquire personal data about, yep. its, about its citizens without even alerting them that it might be doing it, that it could basically yep. create registries of people who yep. were potential threats based on things as minor as what they took out of a library. I, to me, whether, you know, the same, whether it's right or wrong, I mean, civil war ends not because one side admits he's wrong morally, but because the collateral damage has so overwhelmed whatever the, the greater good he might have been doing with his side that Captain America says, I, I can't keep doing this. I give up. And then he's assassinated, and I think there's a whole other plot with that that I didn't read. Um, but I certainly think it was meant to be in conversation with the Patriot Act. It was, and even on the airbrushed ABC one-hour special of Captain America's 75th anniversary or whatever it was. Which I liked. They did. I thought I watched it was that. great. Liked- Reggie Hudlin was on that, actually, as was mm-hmm. Mike, Mike, uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Um, Goddamn, Bendis is good. By the way, big shout-out. Matt knows this because I alerted him. It was announced today who the Peabody finalists are, and <laughs> Jessica Jones, my show of 2015, my favorite first season of a show since Homeland Season 1 in 2011 or whenever it was, nominated for Peabody, and other people who were nominated for Peabody's like Chris Hayes from MSNBC were so happy to be nominated in his words at the same time as Jessica Jones. So I am not alone here. Smart people across the country like the show. The Peabody Award is very, very prestigious. Matt, as a journalist, really quickly, what is the Peabody Award? <laughs> Honestly, <Do> you uh, know? <laughs> not really. It's a, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I put you on the spot right. there. And so maybe cut this whole bit out. because I, I <laughs> No, no, like, this is great. I got it covered. I got it covered. I don't follow all the awards. I always thought of the Peabody, uh, the Peabody, Peabody Awards. <laughs> There's a town in Massachusetts that's pronounced Peabody. So, yeah, um, I'm sure it's, it's just based a higher on, yeah. end quality of award to be nominated for. I guess something of higher artistic merit. No, it's, it's very specific. Well, guess you um, nominated for an Emmy. So I don't know. Educate me. Right. Okay. So Battlestar Galactica, despite being 
in its prime, you know, inarguably, in my opinion, the best drama on TV in the mid 2000s when The Wire was done and Breaking Bad and so forth hadn't started. Like in 2005, I don't know what on TV was better than Battlestar Galactica. They won multiple Peabody's. They were invited to the UN. Anyone who's seen that show knows that they deal with a very adult and serious political and social and personal themes. Anyways. But the Peabody Awards are to recognize uh, radio and, and TV and other sorts of media, essentially. Uh, it used to just be radio and TV, I think. Now they're, they'll do other media, like non-traditional media. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like they have categories. It's just like they get a bunch of applicants that says 1,000 entries per year and pick 25 to 35 uh, winners. But it often has to do... When it comes to fictional properties in, in, in TV or movies like uh, Battlestar and Jessica Jones that deal with social themes in a smart and responsible way, um, it's, you definitely have to have some commercial success to be considered. That's kind of the point. As you, it's like right, it's like another way of honoring commercially successful um, stuff uh, who dealing with deeper issues. Um, and again, I mean, Civil War could get nominated, right? I mean, who fucking knows? Like, it, it can't be that deep. They have so much ground to cover. I, I and, and this will go. This will bring us to my. Will it make a billion dollars or not? Right. I, I have to think <laughs> it will. If, if Batman v Superman has made eight hundred and it'll probably end up with eight fifty, I can't see Civil War not making at least a billion dollars. I mean, it's going to make four to five hundred in this country, I think. Um, what do you? Th- I mean, wh- where do you think the public's head is at after Batman v Superman? Because people are seeing this. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> if Civil War doesn't crack a billion, I think it could be very clearly argued that Batman v Superman drained a lot of its momentum with a large superheroes beat each other up movie uh, that wasn't very good. Um, even if that's not, I mean, I don't think these movies are going to be at all similar to each other, except that there is going to be scenes where the good guys fight each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think if it happens that it doesn't quite perform where they want, it's going, it's going to be blamed on Batman v Superman. I, I could see that happening. I think it's going to crack a billion dollars. I, I, I really think it is going to be really well reviewed. I mean, it's already been really well reviewed. I think people are going to want to go and see it. Um, I think, you know, I've talked about this before that each Marvel movie is a marketing tool for the next one. And I think the train of Marvel movies is maybe a little bit unstoppable at this point. So I I think it's going to do exceptionally well. Um, you know, I don't know if it crack, if it beats Avengers or if it beats, um, age of Ultron, but what was the return, uh, on, uh, guardians of the galaxy? Um, they were about $780 million, if you could believe it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. that was a weird concept. So maybe, maybe that's why it's like 770 <laughs> something. Yeah. Um, and then cap yeah. and X-Men, uh, days of future past and cap winter soldier were around the seven seven forty seven fifty line. Right. It's definitely going to get there, but you know, captain America is so much more famous now than two years ago. And, and you got Iron Man as a secondary lead. So, Iron Man three in twenty thirteen made one point two billion. I, I don't see how this doesn't make one point two. I will eat my shoe, people, or you can come up with something creative. The business saying, come up with something creative that I'll do if this movie doesn't make one point two billion dollars. Because if it doesn't, I'm retiring from podcasting. I'm, I'm retiring. If this movie doesn't make one point two billion dollars, I'm reti- What am I fighting for? It's like seriously, what am I fighting for? 
I'm not retiring, but (laughs) what I will say is one of the reasons that Batman v Superman topped out at around 800 million or so is that it really it stunk in China. It, it it made no money in China and generally overseas it was not very well reviewed. It was not seen, you know, it didn't set all these international records the way Star Wars the Force Awakens did. They love Disney in China big time. Yeah, my hunch is this movie because it's a Disney property um yep. for, and for other reasons is going to do a lot better overseas. If it gets that 1 2 split that you talk about, if it can make 400 here it should make about eight hundred everywhere else, and then you're at one point two. See, it's I only think got this is three thirty yeah, and six sixty to make a billion. I, I think it's going to be a billion dollar movie. I really do. It has to be. It'll be more than a billion. And the thing is, I think this is going to end up being more of a Star Wars model in the sense of earning a ton domestically and them not hitting the one third two third split only because they make so much money domestically, so That's that they impossible. make. I would say they make six hundred, let's say six hundred million domestically, which is what I think Jurassic Park made, right? So say six hundred million domestically, mm-hmm. and then nine hundred million around the world. You're at one point five. You know, I mean, it, it, they could. I, we've been talking about this. You know, I don't want to like say take credit or take blame. I've been saying this could hit Avengers territory of one point five, but the question is, how much of that money will have to do with the quality of the movie? You know, like what other determining factors are there these days? Sometimes it's like what sports events are on that weekend or like is it a holiday, you know, like all this stuff. Um, it's not going to be Passover at least. So that'll be, yeah. you know, you know, what's it opening against? I mean, I, I think right. nothing. It's not opening against anything, you know, and what's coming down the pipeline that might derail it. I mean, Batman v Superman X-Men, has three been weeks after. three weeks. Okay. Batman v Superman what, said all kinds of opening weekday opening weekend records because yep. it was marketed and you can condition anybody to to want to go see something once um a comparison i would make that i don't know how apt it is but whoever wins american idol back when american idol really mattered you know it was really popular his single was a number one went gold or whatever it had to do every time and then that some of those musicians went on to have good full careers but mm-hmm. just because of the marketing behind it, of course that signal, single was going to be a number one hit in its first week. Yeah. Anybody can be conditioned to see it opening weekend or whatever. Okay. Um, and then so it, by perfect. three weeks, it was already down to number two, number three. Two theaters are starting to dump it. Yeah. I think Civil War is going to hang around longer. I think it's going to open better and stay at the top longer than Batman v Superman did. And I think it's going to do better overseas. All it's got to do is outgross Batman v Superman by two hundred million, and you've got uh, you've got a billion dollar movie. It'll be way more because even though X Men Apocalypse is three weeks afterwards, people are still going to be seeing Civil War, and X Men Apocalypse is opening with another Disney movie, Alice Through the Looking Glass. Um, so Disney will have two big movies going at once. It's an interesting point, man. I mean, three we talk about three weeks between those two movies. So it's three weeks today. I'm sorry, three weeks this past Thursday that the <laughs> movie opened, or, or I guess today, if you want to count it Friday. They've made $302 million, but they're only making about a million a day at this point. Right. And it's not going to be in theaters much longer. If they hit 850 unless there's more major foreign release that I don't know about, point being... I don't see Civil War. I can't see Civil War not making hundreds and hundreds of million more dollars than this. I mean, there was so much negative energy from 
critics and it's a lot of word of mouth. Oh, some people still like it somehow. Do you think that the getting to 800 million with Batman v Superman just really quickly is just because it's Batman and Superman essentially in the marketing campaign? Yes. Okay. Almost exclusively. You know, okay. I, I think it's popular and, you know, they're popular characters. There was they're, no enthusiasm. I mean, you no, know, it's, but, it's, but again, marketing is people, the people who market films are paid a lot of money because they tend to be pretty good and they tend to know how to get people to at least see a movie sure. once. Right. You know, the reason Star Wars Force Awakens jumped out to 2 billion is because people saw it multiple times. I saw it twice yep. in theaters. You saw it twice, right? Which um, one? Wait, which one? Force Awakens. Uh, I saw it more than twice. I saw okay. it three so, or four times. But I'm abnormal because i got to do podcasts about this shit. So right. I, I need multi- more than two watching sometime to realize what's going on. Yeah. Okay, so I think people are going to like this movie. They're going to go back to see it multiple times. Yes. I mean, I saw... The Avengers twice in theaters. Um, I did not see some of the movies since, mostly because a lot of those movies I saw by myself because um, I was in Oklahoma when a lot of the post-Avengers movies came out. I think it was actually maybe the last movie I saw in Boston before I moved for my job in June 2012. Mm. Um, and the theater where I lived was okay. It was cheap, but it wasn't sure. great. Um, so I, I think people are really going to enjoy this film and want to go back to it over and over again. Um, and that's really going to push its box up to what we want, which is Age of Ultron, Avengers numbers. I mean, the number of people in this film alone is going to boost the numbers, I think, more than just Captain America. Um, you know, I think the sell of having Iron Man in it, that alone, I think, is going to make a lot of people want to go see this. That's at least three to four hundred million, right? There. That's why I'm, I'm saying one point on it. But I, I certainly yeah. think it makes the movie even more interesting to watch. Is if you don't love Captain America, and you know, not everybody's got a favorite, a different favorite Avenger or member of the Justice League or whatever team you like. Um, but if you don't like Captain America, you might not go see uh, Civil War. Maybe you didn't see Winter Soldier, which is basically just a Captain yeah. America movie. Now you got Iron Man. Hmm, right. Well, now I'm kind of interested. Right. Maybe you liked Ant-Man, and you don't want to wait till Ant-Man and the Wasp comes out. Well, hey, Ant-Man's in this. And hey, Jeremy Renner's in this. And Scarlett right. Johansson's in Well, she was in the last one. So, you know, all of these other characters probably have enough fans that prefer them over anybody else that that's actually going to be a noticeable boost in the number of people who see this movie. Well, and here's my big... Um, question and, and thing I'm nervous about with this movie is the dramatic side, the character building side. I mean, right. where are the where is the relationship building in here? Like, you know, to go to the extreme side of the things that they're not prioritizing, the Vision and Scarlet Witch. I'm sure they're going to build on that. They only have it is two and a half hours, which is interesting. That could. Well, I was going to say that could hurt its return, but it didn't hurt its return with Superman be, uh, Batman v Superman. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we know Emily Van Camp is going to be a love interest. We've known that for two years. We know that Bucky and Sam Wilson are going to be his buddies. We've known that for two – I mean, this is what's so brilliant about Marvel. Of all the clips and, and things I've read and seen, I still don't know anything about the meat of this movie. I don't. I don't, especially the dramatic stuff, and that is what I praise Marvel for. Mm-hmm. Ruin some CGI. I don't care, but don't ruin the story or the character stuff. 
you know, that's what keeps me coming back is along with the action. And if the action looks cool, then it looks great. And I'll watch it a million times. But, you know, what was great about the Winter Soldier was that there were, you know, three to five lead characters, essentially, total. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now you have a team bigger than bigger than the team in Ultron. Uh, Ultron was enough uh, ball juggling from a character standpoint. This is even more so. Do mm-hmm. they, you think? That, I guess let me, in terms of a question, do they not even try with the quote unquote secondary characters like Renner and maybe even Scarlet and Paul Bettany? They just not even try to give them fleshed out stories at all in this situation. I actually think that they might do that. That I don't think everybody is going to get. Apparently, everybody has a scene or two to explain their motivations, but the idea that this movie is going to split evenly between 12 people, the screen time, and the development, and the narrative importance, no, I don't buy it. I I think, you know, Hawkeye has been a secondary character ever since he was introduced in Thor. No, no, he was the most fleshed character in Age of Ultron by far. Uh, I disagree, but whatever. Wait, you disagree that he was fleshed or that it was well-fleshed? Maybe both. I, I don't he know. He had a ton I, of screen time with him and him and his wife and him did, and the twins. He, he had the big speech. I, yeah. Okay, okay, The problem is Jeremy Renner is a really great physical actor, but not as good. He's pretty good emotionally, no, but... Not a great actor, but I loved him in Ultron. I thought he was great. I love So Linda when he Cartellini. fights with a group, he's great, but, you know, that face he makes, that kind of... He doesn't emote. He doesn't show a lot of range. Yeah, his I mean, character in the, the part in uh, the town is Hawkeye without bows and arrows and swears a lot more. You know, he's very wooden, whatever. Um, My sense is with this movie, they are not going to build a lot of relationships. They are going to dissolve a lot of relationships. I could very easily see this movie ending with the Avengers, as we know them, completely dissolving. And that what's going to have to happen in Infinity War is these people are going to have to learn to trust each other again because now they are dealing with a threat that is so far beyond what any of them even thought was possible. You know, when they have to fight Thanos to, to stop him from rewriting, re, you know, reality or, or killing everybody in the universe so that the angel of death will fall in love with them, which is basically what he wants to do in the comics, that is a scope and a threat that they have no idea even is possible. They don't even know yet what the Infinity Stones are. Thor just mentions that they exist and they're important, and then he uh, runs off. I don't think so. I think we're, it, we're meant to. We'll see. But I think Cap and Iron Man know, it, to the extent that they can understand a, a cosmic Maybe situation. they know a little bit, but I think they are going to be faced with a threat that they don't even fully conceive of the, the scope of it. And I think they're going to have to learn how to trust each other again um, and form a team again to stop this in the same way they have to learn how to trust each other at the start of Avengers which is an interesting dovetail of you have learning to trust each other in Avengers and building that over a couple of movies and then breaking it all down at the end of this one. Um, Because all the characters we're going to get between now and Infinity War, with the exception of Black Panther, are not exactly related to the Avengers characters. Um, They are related to the cosmic side of things. They are related to the cosmic stuff, but Banner and Thor are off on literally another world Guardians of the Galaxy is off on another world, and they don't even know the Avengers exist, as far as I can tell. Uh, Doctor Strange is going to have stuff to do with Infinity Stones and setting up uh, Infinity War, but I don't think he's going to interact very much with the Avengers, and Black Panther is going to be the one that's maybe the most direct ties to what we've already seen. 
Um, Captain Marvel, does that come out before or after Infinity War Part 1? So when they acquired Spider-Man into 2017, they had to push everything back. Okay. So Black Panther got pushed back to the uh, February 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, May of 2018 is Infinity War Part 1, and I believe okay. Miss Marvel is either that summer or in the fall, and she will be introduced. I think Captain Marvel is going to be in Infinity War 1 before her own movie. I- I'd be willing to bet tons of money on it. They have to get her in there. We need that female super, like super, super, superhero. Yeah, and, no, I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, but the point is between now and Infinity War, which is the next big tentpole film, you have Black Panther, who is somewhat related to what we've already seen, but everything else are characters and settings that don't seem to have anything to do with the Avengers. So if the Avengers dissolve, in the comics they do. In the the comics they all they all fraternize at some point. But yeah, right. But in Civil War they show up at Xavier's mansion briefly, so they're not going to do that. But my point is right. If the Avengers effectively dissolve and nobody knows what's going to happen at the end of Civil War, you've got two years where they're really not going to be interacting with each other, where this, you know, the shit's going to hit the fan and then they're going to have to figure it out. I, I think the Young Avengers is what's going to come out of this. I mean, here's the thing. Just use logic going backwards, okay? So there's two Infinity War movies. Right. We know that the main characters, as we mentioned, only at the moment are con- you know, on contract for one of the Infinity War movies. So it would seem logical they would be in the second one. So you need... Okay, so who hasn't been in a ton of movies? Falcon, check. Scarlet Witch, check. Vision, I think after all this is over, check. Uh, um, fucking... Um, Black Panther has to go home and take care of his situation, but Black Panther is connected to the comics. I haven't stressed this enough. I mean, he doesn't at the moment, but in general, he's had an Infinity Stone in the past and known what it is and how to use it. So I think Black Panther ends up with an Infinity Stone. I don't think they give it to him now. I think we'll see it in the next movie because he's the last one before Infinity War. So Thanos is going to come. So he's, you know, he's the last MCU movie, right? It would make sense that Black Panther would be at least involved in Infinity Stone at that point. And, uh, you know, this is my great fear about Marvel is we're relying so much on Infinity Stones and Thanos, neither of which I'm totally convinced by. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you feel on this subject. I like, I mean, Thanos is one of the ultimate big bads in the Marvel Universe. He's certainly a bad guy that the Avengers have fought over and over and over again. So I think it's appropriate that he's the villain. Has he been super well executed until now? Well, he's only had five minutes of screen time, so who can say? Um, The Infinity Stones work fine when we're not... Thor just sh- don't have Thor just showing up and saying, "Oh, this is an Infinity Stone. They're important. Now I got to go off to another planet to find out what the hell is going on." Yeah, that just didn't bother me the same way it bothered everybody else. I don't know. That didn't bother I, me. I don't know. I, I mean, the exposition was exactly the same in Guardians, but because you had Benicio del Toro doing it, and it was brilliantly written. It was very compelling. The problem with the Thor is just that it wasn't compelling the way it was delivered. But the fact that he delivered it, I, I, I don't know. They had to make the connections. But anyway, sorry. They do, but it just... The problem I have with Ultron is the third act feels a lot clunkier than the first two. And one of the reasons is that Thor basically goes off into his own movie. And look, if you're going to make a movie called Captain America the First Avenger, I get it. You're setting up that he's going to show up in a movie called The Avengers. But 
don't have him just run off, you know, at least. No, that was to- totally practical. They had to get him off earth before civil war. Again, another thing that Whedon was asked to do that he didn't want to do. He didn't want to do it. Okay. He, he didn't want to just send Thor back for no reason, but they said, Nope, he can't be here for civil war next year. So Thor has got to be gone. So he had to come up with that. So, so I'm the- not making excuses, but it's just, you know, is it, 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 that's the thing. It's so much harder to do the team up movies. I think the Russos, as great as they've done so far, they're going to be challenged, I think, by Infinity War in ways they haven't been so far, which isn't necessarily the worst thing, right? I mean, they're not Zack Snyder, at least. No, I'm, I'm fine I'm with, sorry, them being, I'm with them being challenged, I think. Uh, you know, and I think they'll do a good job. I said this in I don't remember which podcast. I just hope they don't bite off more they can, than they can chew because they've talked about having like 30 or 40 superheroes in Infinity War, which is cool if you can pull it off, but goddamn, that's going to be hard have to pull to. off. Yeah, they have to. They have to. They have to do a ton and kill off most of them. I think Maybe that's, that's the main objective. Do I don't know. Yeah, kill off most of them, and that's how you get Black Panther and Captain Marvel and the Inhumans and Spider Man going forward, etc. I mean, that's the thing, uh, you know. And we talked pregame about talking about this, so maybe we'll end on this, which is, you know, you spend so much time trying to connect everything. Is there a point where things can become a little inorganic or forced because of all the setting up? Absolutely. I mean, Cap hasn't had to set up every, everything else has set up Cap, not the other way around, right? Mm-hmm. Cap hasn't had to set up anything. You know, I mean, Thor has had to set up way more than Cap. Even Iron Man set up more than Cap. Cap set up nothing except his own storyline. It's very liberating. It's, you know, it's almost, yeah. I don't and it ahead. is a question of what is this movie going to set up? Right. You know, are they going to find another Infinity Stone? I don't think so. Are we going to see Thanos, like a glimpse of him? I don't think so. So really, I think all this movie is going to do in terms of the the plot of the the first three phases is maybe create a situation where the tension is so strained that the Avengers are not prepared when Thanos attacks in Infinity War, that they have to get back together. I That I really think could happen is that this movie ends with the Avengers breaking up, that with disassembling. Um, yep. But that yeah. might be it. That might be all that this movie does at hinting towards the plot of future movies. Now, all the personal relationship development stuff, who knows? Some of them they're going to do more with. Some they're probably going to ignore. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, but I think in terms of plot, in the same way that Avengers sets up Infinity War, in the same way that Guardians of the Galaxy sets up the Infinity War, in the same way that I'm certain Ragnarok is going to set up Infinity War with plot stuff, I think this is just going to set up the the state where everybody's relationships with each other are at. And even then, it's only going to be some key relationships heading into Infinity War. Well, other than Ant-Man, as you point out, and Black Panther is connected just by being in this movie, but it's not an Avenger. Um, until Infinity War a few years from now, right, this is the last time we're going to see most of these characters together. Yeah. And you, so you have to sort of make it traumatic so that you get them to come back together. I mean, this will be this will be a long wait. I guess it's really not. It's two years. You know, we have to wait three years between the first Avengers movies. So it's two years. This is Avengers 2.5, you know. Um, just happens to be a Captain America movie. Yeah, I don't know. I just love all of the characters. I I, I just want more screen time for them than I think is going to be possible. 
if there's anything Batman v Superman did right, it's limited to the three major superheroes. Mm-hmm. But they've already done that in the first Avengers. You know, you, you can't keep doing, you can't keep going to that well. And so that's why I think Black Panther and, and Captain Marvel are so crucial more than this movie, as well as it does or, or doesn't do. Those movies are so crucial because you got to expand the universe in terms of women, in terms of minorities, but also just different environments, different ways of thinking about superheroes. And, and that's really going to put it to the test, right? Cause it's like X-Men and Spider-Man got taken and then they had Iron Man, Thor, Hulk and, and Cap and now it's Black Panther and Inhumans and Captain Marvel. Like you do have Spider Man, which I'm sure they're thrilled. Um, I guess is this is this the test, man? I mean, like whether you can make almost unknown comic book properties work in big budget Hollywood movies. Um, I would say I'm probably yes, just because we've had so few of them. But I don't know. All right, man. So to, to wrap up. What's the one thing you want to see in this movie that you're not sure you're going to get or not? I want to see a smart exploration of the moral uh, implications of what these superheroes do. Um, I I finally want that question to be addressed because it's one that gets addressed a lot in the comic books. And this would be a, you know, the true test for this as a film genre as to whether or not audiences can accept dealing with this question that's serious and heavy, even when the premise is a little bit silly of you have these people with insane, you know, scientifically impossible origins who run around in funny colored suits. The, you know, but can you make a movie about them that still asks a really important culturally relevant question um, and, and, and explore it? And that, that's what I want from this one. I want a smart um, – intellectual exercise on top of a good action film which has not been done yet yeah yeah i guess you know i have i have one silly one and one kind of real one although my real one is that it is more audience based and that i hope people love i hope black panther is as amazing as i think he's gonna be and that people love him as much as i want them to love him and as i'm gonna love him I really want to get people pumped for Black Panther because that is a major franchise that is just sitting underneath, you know, the 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 weed behind the weeds. Like, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but if you really look at it, that that could be a very sustainable franchise. Black Panther, that is. My silly one is I want Scarlett Johansson to fight the Scarlet Witch. I don't know if that's going to happen. I've been hoping for this for forever since I met the Scarlet Witch. I, I don't know how ScarJo could possibly defend herself against the Scarlet Witch. She got her ass kicked, which is, you know, it would be very interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. As I said before, I think they've shown us and told us a lot, and there's still so much left, which just goes to show you. I mean, just as my, my parting thought, man, when I was doing the Winter Soldier um, commentary, I, I watched the old trailers, and they showed the fucking helicarrier stuff in the trailers. Mm-hmm. Like, it, nobody cared. Because as cool as that CGI thing was, you know, there was just so much else going on in the movie. And I think that Marvel and Disney in general is so confident in their ability to get, as you said, at least B plus, A minus products. We see it with the Jungle Book. They're going to make bank, man. I told you. Uh, you know, it, it's it, they can afford to give away stuff and entice people. And unlike Batman, where we saw everything cool in the trailer, right? Right. So, um, all right. Any parting thoughts? 
No, I'm excited. I mean, I, that, and I wasn't excited about anything when I walked out of Batman v Superman. So just two <sighs> weeks later, I'm feeling pumped and oh. getting oh. more and more into seeing this. Okay, so this is my last question for you, and we'll sign off. Which All is, right. can this erase, can, can, this, can this alleviate us of the bad taste of Batman v Superman if it's you know, 90% as good as we think it could be? Yes. Yeah, this, I really think it can. Movie. I okay. think a lot of reviewers and people are going to say that exact thing, that, that this movie kind of is what Batman v Superman tried and failed to be, if it's good. I mean, everything that we've seen suggests it's going to be good, but that still doesn't mean it will be. I am an optimistic. I think it will be very, very good. But anything can be marketed one way and portrayed one way and then be the total opposite when it, when it actually gets in theaters. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be awesome and kick ass. If it does, it is absolutely going to erase the taste of just garbage in my mouth from Batman v Superman. I just love that they got the Scarlet Witch playing, <laughs> quarter, uh, playing quarterback. Right? <laughs> Seriously, they got, they got Wanda. She's throwing Cap in the building. She's like lining up guys for Falcon to take down so she doesn't have to kill him. Totally. You know? Uh, it's like, it's great. I, I, the, the teamwork stuff is going to be awesome, especially, you know, the comparative powers. Um, I, I love Lizzie Olsen. And I think this is actually going to be a movie where she won't have a ton of screen time. And that's good because she'll be in both, uh, Infinity Wars. I she of all the characters in this movie, I think she's the one guaranteed to be in both um, Infinity Wars, and cool. uh, you know it'll it'll be cool. It'll be interesting to see if uh, if that happens. So you know my my worry isn't it is good. It is it, it's uh, is it great? Um, so you know I mean it's not really a fair criteria, but mm-hmm. I I think it's going to be good for sure. So all right, buddy. Well, Matt Matt ran well over a, a uh, half marathon today. So. Big, big applause for him for making it. Uh, good luck with that, buddy. Thanks. Everybody, right. go see this movie, and hopefully we all enjoy it. All right, Bizzlecast out.